Hello and welcome to episode 119 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today we are recording on February 18th, 2019. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this show. And joining me, as always, is Brad Galloway. He is my partner in crime for every episode of the show, and he is the editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad? I am doing well. I was kind of dragging, but then we did the banter section, and I feel all pepped up. I feel awake. I feel kind of like the blood's flowing. I feel ready to go, man. <laughs> yeah, I always sometimes feel that way like we have to sit down and record and i've had kind of a bad day and i'm like oh man this is gonna be a terrible show because i've had a long work day or i'm tired or i didn't get my afternoon nap in like the princess that i am and then we talk about bullshit for like 45 minutes before we record the actual show and then suddenly i'm like in good spirits and ready to go it's so amazing how that happens it's kind of like magic, some would say. <laughs> I also feel like an idiot because whenever I was reading the date off for the show, February 18th, um, between our last show and this show, Valentine's Day happened. And like Patrick and I went on our first like real Valentine's date in several years because usually we just like don't really do anything because we're not like, you know, we don't really make a big deal out of it. But we did. We went to like a kind of a nice restaurant in town and had like a seven course dinner and it was pretty Whoa. amazing. And why did you fit it all in? I don't, well, the, it was like fancy. So the courses were kind of small, you know, it was like one of those, but I should totally should have talked about it on banter and I forgot. And now I feel like the worst husband in the world. Cause like we went on a really serious date and then I just totally forgot to talk about it. Well, you can always talk about it next week. That's true. I certainly can. Hopefully, I mean, my life's pretty boring, so I'm sure nothing like super exciting will happen between now and then. And if nothing does, then I'll have to circle back and talk about Valentine's Day. Why not? Why not, indeed? I mean, we're all friends here. We talk about <laughs> things a little late. Who cares? It doesn't matter as long as the story is good. It's true. It's true. The problem there and lies with the story actually being good because the story is going to be like, oh, we ate a shitload of food and then went to bed. And that's like the whole story. <laughs> well uh i guess maybe you could spice it up a little bit between now and then so maybe get creative and we'll see what happens it's true i do have a good imagination sometimes so maybe i can fashion something good out of this but there you go there yes you go. um do you have any housekeeping notes before we start games chat or anything i do have no housekeeping notes i think this week the house is clean for me how's your house looking hell yeah my house is clean as well i don't have anything the only thing i want to warn everybody about is the fact that almost I guess like half the stuff we're talking about this week, you and I have both played. We're like on a roll because last week we both played a bunch of stuff we talked about. And this week we both played a bunch of stuff we talked about. So or we're going to talk about. So like we can actually have some like discussions about this stuff. This is good. I mean, I'm glad we're finally getting in the groove because longtime listeners of the show and of course we well, no, that was kind of like our original intent <laughs> way back when when we started because we were thinking... It's only two people. We can be really nimble. At the time, I think both of our schedules were much more flexible. Uh, you know, we were like, okay, yeah, maybe like on a Monday, I'll email you and I'll be like, hey, play this and this. And you'll be like, okay, then you play this and this. And then by the time it came to record, we would ideally have, you know, a couple games that we would like just talk about. And it was going to be a nice and tight 45 minutes total. And we would just, you know, have this in sync podcast and of course none of that came true none of that happened none of it 
And like last year, I think we maybe played the same game maybe once in all of 2018. <laughs> so we are doing much better in 2019. We've got some real momentum going, dude. I know. It also like helps. This is like a total cop out, but the fact that like we're just playing a bunch of demos and betas together. So it's like we can take like one hour of our day to play this demo that we both have access to for free. But we just, you know, that's fine. We can play whatever we want, even if it's a one hour demo. That way we can both discuss it. And that's that. Whatever works, man, whatever works. And I'm sure people who listen to the banter will figure it out. But with my schedule right now, playing a couple demos is basically all I can squeeze in. So at least we've got that. (laughs) You say that and you have like six games slated. So I don't even want to hear it, man. Well, I'm only going to talk about each one for 30 seconds, so I think it'll all work out in the end. That is a lie, and we both know it. <laughs> probably true. Probably true. All right, well, let's just roll into it, dude, if you don't mind. If you want to just go for it. Let's go for it. All right, so my work schedule is pretty crazy right now, and basically all I have time for is to bring the Switch with me. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I mean, I'm playing, like, Puzzle Quest when I'm in the bathroom, or, like, five <laughs> minutes before I fall asleep in bed, but, like, otherwise... I just don't have time to sit in front of a console very much. Um, so what I've been doing is I'm bringing the Switch. And, you know, we talked a couple of times about how crazy some of the sales have been on Switch. And, like, some of these titles I've had my eye on for a while have been, like, real cheap. Like a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, five dollars. Which, to me, is all well within experimental territory. So if I pony up for something and it turns out to be a loser, I mean, yeah, I'm upset I'm out a couple bucks. But it's not like the end of the world, right? I mean, I don't go to Starbucks very often. So I figure all the coffee I might be buying instead of supporting any developers that makes me feel a little bit better about the whole thing so whatever i have uh three games that i'm just going to quick hit really really quickly <laughs> and then and then we will move on to uh the the co-op discussion later on the first one i want to bring up is called of mice and sand revised i've had my eye on this one for quite a while it was one of the earliest switch titles to be released i think At least I remember seeing it for a long, 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 long time. Uh, And so this game is a 2D kind of pixel-based title where you play as a group of mice in a post-apocalyptic universe. You're pretty much on Earth because you will find some things that look like... uh, Well, that'll be familiar to anybody who lives on Earth. You'll see some monuments and some things that very clearly make it Earth. Uh, You're in a desert, and what happens is you get this little vehicle. Uh, It kind of looks like... The Sandcrawler from Star Wars. You know those Jawas from uh, Star Wars? Those little dudes in little cloaks in the first movie where they got the glowing eyes. They collect scrap on Tatooine. You know what I'm talking about, Corey? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. You basically are a Jawa, except you're a mouse <laughs> instead of a Jawa. And you have a, a big Sandcrawler that looks just like that, sort of. And then you just go around from town to town in the desert. And as you drive, you pick up scrap in the desert that you find. Uh, so... You start off at a town, you look at your map, you pick a town you want to go to, you you chart your course, and then you go. And then as you drive, you pick up scrap. So by the time you get there, you will have accumulated a few pieces of scrap that you can either build things with, you can sell the scrap, and then when you get to the town, there'll be a couple quests where somebody will be like, hey, I really need like five hubcaps. If you find five hubcaps, then give them to me, and I'll give you $100. And so you have to make money to refuel your sand crawler. You have to buy food for the mice that are inside the sand crawler. And you have to buy other supplies every once in a while. So basically, that's the loop of the game. Pick a town, drive to the town, collect scrap on the way. When you get there, hopefully the scrap you collect will mean that you can give some of that scrap to fulfill a quest. Or you can build something out of it. Uh, And you kind of just do that over and over. Um, The other part of the game is that you kind of manage your mice. Like you can, 
build little rooms inside your sand crawler. So you can build like a workshop or an extra bedroom or a kitchen or something like that. And that'll have like various, um, you know, attributes to your ship. It'll give you like some bonuses or something. And so uh, eventually you'll find a guy who wants to sell you like a bigger ship. So your ship gets bigger and bigger, more complicated. You'll have more and more rooms. You'll pick up more mice as you go. But the whole thing underlying the, the idea of the game is just you're kind of going from town to town, scouring the desert like those Jawas in uh, in Star Wars. And that's kind of the loop. I will say, this game is incredibly cute. I love the way it looks. That was really what grabbed me about it. I looked at it, and I wasn't really sure it was going to be my jam, but I just love the way it looked. And just the idea was kind of cool. I like the idea of this having this little ant farm that you that was on wheels or treads and going from town to town, kind of doing these little things. Interesting enough to get me to pony up a couple bucks for it, and I put maybe like two days into it, but I gotta say, it it doesn't have enough under the hood. Like, once you get past the basic loop, once you know what you're doing, you're just kind of grinding over and over and over, because the, the costs for things go up really quickly, you're constantly running out of fuel, so you gotta make more money to buy fuel, but then you need the money to buy food, but then you bought the food, and then you don't have enough money for the fuel, so you gotta like, do these little scouring runs over and over to get more scrap, and then eventually you just have to like craft stuff. So you have to like upgrade stuff and craft some more stuff and then sell that stuff. And I mean, it's kind of cool, but at the same time, it's really grindy. And I, I really like where it was going. Like I like the concept. I like just the basic, just the energy that's putting off. Like it feels like it's in a pretty good zone, but I just couldn't keep up with the grinding. Like it just, it got to be repetitive too quickly and there wasn't enough story. There wasn't enough action. There wasn't enough anything outside of that core loop and so after like two days i'm like okay i'm done i just all i'm doing is grinding resources and building more things that take more resources and i'm grinding more resources so i i quit it um it's really cute i kind of wish it was better than it was like i really i really feel like it was going in the right direction it just didn't get to where it needed to be so that was kind of sad and i think i i just bailed i'm not going to come back to it i will not probably ever talk about it again questions thoughts um not really. Doesn't sound like something I would be into. And it kind of sounds like if I played this, I would get bored pretty quickly. If you had to like, let me ask one question. If you had to think of something you could inject into this game that would make it better or make you want to come back to it, what would it be? I think, I think if they just cut all the requirements for everything in half, like if just everything was cheaper, if you only had to grind half as much, I think I probably would have stayed in a lot longer because I was reading on some message boards and they say that, Oh, you know, combat becomes a bigger part later on when your ship gets like combat capabilities, like you start putting more guns on it and there's monsters in the desert. I mean, that all sounds kind of cool. It just takes too long to get there. So I think if they cut everything in half, I think I probably would have, I, I, I don't know if I would have gone the distance, but I would have played it for a lot longer than I did. So I'll say that much. All right, Roger that. All right, moving on. I, I was in a very experimental mood, giving a lot of indies the time of day, and I saw one called Mimic Hunter. Uh, didn't know anything about it. I just thought the art looked kind of cute, and it was a couple bucks, so I thought, okay, sure, I'm going to pony up. Uh, I can't exactly tell you what it's about. Uh, <laughs> you play as, like, a mouse who's wearing kind of like a Three Musketeers outfit with, like, the poofy hat with the, the feather, and he's got, like, a rapier or something. And you're, there's like a tower. You know, I love tower games. Anything I got to climb to the top of, I love doing that. I don't know why. It's a sickness. Um, so I start the game and I'm like, okay, this is kind of cute. It's kind of like a black and whitish sort of an art. 
obviously an indie, but you know, whatever, I can let some jank go. But like, the tutorial was like terrible. Like it was not explaining really basic things like how to jump or how the attacking works, or it's like, go to this door and go in the door, but it didn't tell you how to even go in the door. Like I went <laughs> to it and I'm like, push up, that didn't work. Push A, that didn't work. Push down, nope, no. Nope. Over to the side, no. Nope. Hold the button, nope. Shoulder button, nope. And like eventually, like once I had gone through like every function on the on the controller, I finally figured it out. But it's like, you could have just fucking told me how to go in the door. It would have saved me like, you know, 90 seconds of trying to figure it out. The same thing for like this other part where they, they just, they want you to do this thing, go and uh, fight this monster. Okay, but I don't know how your combat works. I don't even know how your jumping works. Like I couldn't figure out how to jump. And I'm like, dude, have you guys never, ever played a fucking tutorial before? Like these are... Just explain to me what your fucking game does. What is going on? Like, they didn't even get me through the tutorial. I didn't even understand what the point of the game was. I just got really irritated with it because it's like, my time is fucking precious, dude. My time is fucking precious. And I'm fine putting up with subpar graphics or rough performance or like janky design. But like, do your fucking part, man. Like, get me inside your game. Explain what the hell is going on because I am not you. And if I didn't create this game, I don't know how your game works. So please explain to me how this game works. They didn't even do that. I was like, fuck it. Like, fuck this thing. If I can't even get through the tutorial without getting pissed off, there's no way I'm going to play this game. So I just fucking <laughs> deleted it. I'm like, man, I want to give you any some help, but you got to help me. And whoever is responsible for Mimic Hunter, like, please examine your life choices. Please look at other games on the Switch. Please look at games in general. This is not how games are designed. You what you did was embarrassing. So please go back and fix it. It's just, it's terrible. So that's all I saw of Mimic Hunter. And I really regretted spending the two bucks on it. I wish I would have just like thrown it down the toilet or something instead. Um, the final one, Solstice Chronicles. Uh, this came out on PC a while ago. And I believe Dan Weissenberger at Game Critics reviewed it. I think he was pretty positive on it. And I remembered seeing it like the, the cover art kind of doom like, and I am always up for a good top down shooter. Uh, especially on the Switch. So I'm like, okay, cool, I'll check this out. And it's basically like Doom from a top-down perspective. It looks a lot like Doom from a top-down perspective. You play this kind of like weird Marine. You have a couple different armor sets you can pick from at the beginning. I think it was like four different starting sets. Uh, not really sure what they do, but, you know, they give you the option. You have a little robot drone that goes with you who's got some powers. And then you just like are released into these levels and just basically shoot everything and survive i mean you know again just like doom from a top-down perspective uh again just like mimic hunter terrible tutorial terrible tutorial do not explain basic functions i got stuck like like 45 seconds into the game just trying to figure out what button i was supposed to hit or what i was supposed to do or i i, I got stuck in this level where i was just like walking around and around and around and i couldn't figure out like where to go and i'm like dude this is not starting well um i eventually just got kind of bored and frustrated and i was like no i mean again just like mimic hunter if you can't get me interested in the first like if you can't get me through your tutorial what's wrong with you like what is wrong <laughs> like literally what is wrong with you as a person what is wrong with you go back and like fix this because it's not asking too much for someone to explain this is the flow of the game this is how the game plays these are the things you need to know just fucking walk me through it okay like just do it in a clear and concise fashion so i bailed out of that one probably after like five or ten minutes i'm like i just don't even 
I'm, you're not telling me what I need to know. I don't feel like I have enough patience for you right now because there's like 10,000 fucking other games I could be playing right now. And if you're not even going to get me through this, I'm not going to give you the time of day. So I bailed out of Solstice Chronicles pretty quickly. Uh, but if anybody out there wants a really crappy top-down Doom-like, then I guess you can check it out. I will never play it again. I will never talk about it again. So those are my three quick hits on the Switch. Uh, unfortunately, they were all stinkers. That was uh, not planned. But that's what happened, and here we are. Corey, thoughts, feelings, ideas? Um, at least they were all cheap, I guess. Yeah, I didn't spend too much on any of them, which is great. I mean, if I had spent like 10 or 15 bucks on any of these, I would have been pretty pissed. Uh, so I guess it's good. But at the same time, throwing money away is throwing money away, and I really don't like doing that. So I don't know that I necessarily want to say that Nintendo needs to step up on its um, uh, curation but maybe they want to step up on their curation a little bit. Um, also, one thing that is kind of interesting, I'm going to ask you your opinion on this because I honestly don't know, but I, when I played my Switch, I didn't realize there was a fan in it for the longest time. For like a year, I didn't know there was no fan in it because every game I played wasn't really taxing the system that much, and so there was never any reason for the fan to turn on. But now, when I play a game where the fan is on, I'm like, oh, the Switch is working really hard. <laughs> and if it's a game where I don't feel like it's very technologically advanced, it's like, oh, this must be not very well optimized because the Switch is, like, struggling to play this because the fan kicks on. And, I mean, do you notice that often? Do you play on games with a fan on? Do you feel like that, that same idea? you feel like your Switch is working hard? I actually don't think I knew it had a fan until this moment in time. <laughs> so okay so so find some really graphically intense game that was originally on another platform and if you play that on the switch you'll i mean maybe not if you're in a noisy room but like usually i'm on the couch or i'm in bed or something it surprised the fuck out of me the first time i heard the fan i'm like ah what is going is it the drive was it dying what's is this thing going to catch fire what's going on but yeah there is a fan that kicks on when it's when it's pushing a lot of 3d graphics or when it's working really hard so these days when i play something with fan i'm like up. Oh, must not be very well optimized. I don't know if that's true. It could be totally a fallacy on my part, but that's what I think. That's what I think. And Solstice Chronicles had the fan going like gangbusters. So I was like, that's another reason to delete it. No need to burn out my Switch before its time is due. So anyway, that's enough of those, man. Let's move on to something else. I'm going to turn it over to you to talk about what people told me was the second Devil May Cry 5 demo. I didn't know that there was a first one, and I certainly didn't know there was a second one. Uh, but tell us about the Devil May Cry 5 demo, kind sir. Okay, so I actually did know that there was a first one, and I, but I'm not exactly sure how it came about. I think what happened was Capcom released a Devil May Cry 5 demo on the Xbox One only and not on the PlayStation 4, so that's probably why you weren't really aware of it because I know you don't play your Xbox One that much. Neither do I, to be uh, frank. But And then I think they pulled the demo off the Xbox One store in preparation to put the second demo up. And then like a month later, or however amount of time later, they put up the Devil May Cry 5 demo. I'm assuming it's a different demo, because if it wasn't, then why would they pull it off the Xbox? But I think they pulled the first one, and then they put the second one up, and it's uh, on both systems now. So, um, yeah, so in case you didn't know, there is a Devil May Cry 5 demo out on Xbox One and PlayStation 4 right now. It's free. It's, I don't know how long it is because I didn't finish it. Um, but it's basically just, yeah, just a demo for Devil May Cry 5. I don't know what else there is to say. So, um, in the demo, you play as Nero, who is the Devil May Cry 4 protagonist. He looks kind of like Dante, but he's, like, younger. He and looks has... exactly like Dante. I don't I... even understand that whole thing. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, he does. I don't, I guess, like, Dante, when I think of Dante, I think of, like, red armor and, like, long flowing locks of white hair, but Nero has, like, short, kind of, like, spiky hair a little bit, and he he's just, like, younger. <clears throat> like, he could be, like, his, like, younger brother or, like, his son or something. Um, but the, the thing that fascinates me is, like, whenever DMC came out, like, I don't know, like, five or six years ago or whenever it came out, um, which is, like... I would, like, say it's, like, largely regarded as, like, the best Devil May Cry. And for some reason, like, Capcom put DMC out and then just pretended like it never happened. Like, they, like, seems seem to have no interest in, like, going back to that timeline. Because DMC, like, kind of rebooted Devil May Cry. And I would argue in a very good way, because that's the only Devil May Cry that I've been, like, in love with. Um... And then, like, what? Because, like, uh, Dante was younger. He had black hair instead of white hair. He was kind of like a wisecracking, like, goth punk kind of kid. And he, like, found his way into this uh, demon universe. And it, the, the whole game was kind of like this clash of, like, the demon universe and the human universe. And I thought it was really, really well executed. But the thing that fascinates me is that Nero and Devil May Cry 5 looks pretty much exactly like DMC Dante, but with short hair and it's white hair. I mean, I guess white hair because his hair was short in DMC, but he looks just like him, but with white hair, short white hair instead of short black hair and like a fake arm because that's kind of like Nero's thing is he has like the devil arm, which is uh, now it's like full on like Metal Gear Solid 5, like looks basically like uh, Snake's um, prosthetic arm in Metal Gear Solid 5. And so... I mean, I don't know what all to say here. The Devil May Cry 5 demo, it feels like Devil May Cry. If you've played Devil May Cry 1, 2, 3, or 4, it feels pretty much just like those. Um, I don't know if that's a for better or for worse thing. It's third-person camera. It's a third-person action-adventure game. It's a lot of melee combat with a giant sword. You have guns, but they're not really that effective. They're just kind of like a stopgap for combos. You have, like, special moves you can do. Um, Nero has his prosthetic arm that can, like... He has different abilities he can use for it, and some of them are projectile. Like, you can, like, launch the arm off to hit people. You can shoot this, like, energy beam out of it. You can use it to grapple enemies and pull them toward you and like, kind of like a grappling hook style. You can jump in the air and use the arm to pull them up in the air with you and then, like, slash them in the air. Um, the demo is... I don't know how long the demo is. I'm assuming it's one level and then a boss fight because what happened to me was I played through the level and then I got to the boss fight and I got about most of the way through the boss fight and I died. And I was like, oh man, this is a bummer. And I was like ready to turn the game off. But I was like, you know, I'll load the checkpoint. I'll give it one more shot. So I die in the boss fight. I load the game and it starts the level completely over to which I said, no, I'm not going to play the level all over again. I'm turning this off. It was fine for what it was. Um, I I will probably gamefly this when it comes out and play it. Um, I'm not expecting it to be amazing because I think I like DMC so much that Devil May Cry 5 is kind of like a return to form on the older version of the series. Um, but I don't know what else to say. Uh, Brad, you played it. What were your impressions and feedback on stuff I said? Um... Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Once again, we are in agreement. I loved DMC. That was, to me, by far the best the series has ever been. And I don't understand why Capcom turned their back on it. They must be paying way too much attention to the whiny fucking piss baby fanboys who, like, pitched a fit that his hair was the wrong color in that <laughs> game or that they retcon or they, they changed some of his backstory or whatever. I mean, whatever. There was a huge outcry from the quote-unquote fans who, like, kind of, like, fought against the game 
despite the fact that it was the best Devil May Cry uh, by far, by far. Um, so that was my favorite. Strongly recommend it to anybody, even if you don't like DMC or Devil May Cry. Even if you don't like it, give it a try. It's better than the other ones by like a mile. Uh, so I played this DMC Devil May Cry 5 demo. I was really bored like right away. Like, um, the, I've never liked Devil May Cry that much. I, I've played them all and I think I've, no, that's not true. I'd never finished four, uh, but I did play one, two and three and then three special edition and then DMC. So I've played four of the five games. Uh, did not finish four because it was too boring. But I just I just don't think this game is fun. I don't think this game is really entertaining. It's never really been that entertaining. Uh, you just, like, whack monsters over and over and over going for, like, a good combo. And you just, like, have these different combos that you do. And it's just... The whole thing is just really tiresome. I think Dante as a character uh, is, really, is really tiresome also. I think he was the best in DMC. But, like, just in general, he's got, like too much toot and the jokes are never funny and it's just none of it is clever as it seems to think it is and i just get really bored of it so i mean i played just like you did i played through the demo interestingly they don't tell you how to dodge did you know how to dodge i couldn't figure out how to dodge until afterwards i figured it out like during the boss battle at the end of the first level and it didn't really come too much in handy at that point Okay, well, I got I, I didn't know how to dodge, and I'm like, I know this game's all about dodging. I don't know what the dodge is. The, te- the demo doesn't tell you. Again, another tutorial failure, but uh, I got played through the level. I'm like, this is really boring. I'm whacking guys with my sword, and then you have, like, four different flavors of your robot arm. I mean, big whoop. I just wasn't really feeling it. I don't like Nero. I think that the, the very fact that Nero exists is really stupid to me because he looks way too much like Dante, and I don't know what the narrative explanation is for it, but just as a person who's kind of, like, on the periphery of Devil May Cry, it's really dumb that there's another person like Dante who looks just like Dante, and I honestly can't tell him apart. So, that's dumb, and, you know, just the action is just dull. I just I just don't like the way it plays. It's not interesting to me. It's not very engaging. Got to the boss. Uh, I got the boss down to, like, a sliver, and then I got killed, and then, I, like you said, it went back to the beginning of the demo, and I'm like, there's no way I'm playing this again. I could barely <laughs> sit through it the first time. So, yeah, not impressed. It takes... Devil May Cry back to the kind of Devil May Cry that I that I never liked, that I think is not actually very good. Um, I wish that they would have just kept it with um, Ninja Theory, who are the ones who did DMC. I think they did a, st- a fantastic job, outstanding job. I wish they would do more of that, but they're not doing that. So I don't care. I will not play this game. I have no interest in this game. It's really just not my cup of tea. I am zero interested in what they've done here. Writing looks looks stupid. The uh, the characters seem stupid. I just I've no no affection for it whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing that has kind of always been the thorn in my side about uh, the Devil May Cry series, and this was partially untrue about DMC, but it was pretty much true about the rest of them, is that I've probably said on the show about four hundred times that you know I'm not really the one for like super fast like melee action games. Like I can play them, but it's not like my bread and butter. But whenever it comes to these sort of like third-person, like, melee-based weapon combat games, um, I still consider, like, Ninja Gaiden to be, like, the gold standard, and and specifically, probably Ninja Gaiden Black on the Xbox, and maybe, like, Ninja Gaiden 2 on the 360 are kind of, like, my go-tos for, like, just, like, that kind of action, because it's incredibly fast, it's incredibly ferocious, and it's the kind of game where... 
you have to block all when you're not attacking you have to block 100 of the time or else you're gonna get your ass handed to you in about 22 seconds flat maybe not even that and like the dodge is really intuitive and it's the kind of game where even when you block there's very little that can break your block so like you pretty much know you're safe as long as you're holding the block button it doesn't have any of that dark souls bullshit stamina crap like you can just attack as much as you want as often as you want but you really have to be on guard and kind of do like a you know kind of a cat and mouse thing with combat especially whenever you're overwhelmed with people and i just think the combat in most of the ninja guiding games is incredibly satisfying and i really just like how quick and how kind of ferocious they are and they are punishing but they're not too punishing, except for the boss battles, because all the bosses at Ninja Gaiden are fucking absolute horseshit, awful. But the like level-to-level combat is usually pretty incredible and usually fair, as long as like you know what you're doing and you're kind of like on top of your shit. But like Devil May Cry, it's just kind of boring. Like you have like your one melee attack button, you have your one gun attack button, so there's not even like a light and heavy attack. And then you have your, like, grapple slash arm projectile, devil arm projectile attack thing. And so basically all you're doing is just, like, mashing the same button over and over and over again to do, like, combos on these enemies. And it doesn't feel like I know, you know, if you press the button, like, if you hold forward and press the button or if you lock on and hold forward and press the attack button, like, the attacks will vary a little bit. Or if you're locked on and you hold the stick away from the enemy and press the attack button, he'll, like launch them into the air so there's like some variation in there but like i don't want to like have to learn all of these like button specific combos to play your game like the base combat should be fast and fun enough to keep me in and dmc is the only game out of the entire devil may cry franchise that i felt like had like good fluid fast enough action to satisfy me where it doesn't just feel like i'm pressing the same button over and over and over again and like they do have like every character has guns in the game but the guns are like fucking useless like you shoot it you shoot your gun and it takes like a, a half a percent off the character's health or off the enemy's health so basically all you're using the guns for is to like keep periphery enemies at bay or to like keep your combo going because like the combo is a big thing in devil may cry and i just like i'm just like why even give us the guns if they're going to be so useless and so like you know, like, BB guns toward the enemies. I just kind of would rather have, like, two attack buttons, two, like, melee attack buttons, rather than have projectiles because they basically are worthless. So, I, I don't know. Like, I'll probably play Devil May Cry 5 when it comes out, but, like, the combat in Devil May Cry, like, DMC aside, has just never been that engaging or that fun or that fluid. It just feels very, I don't know, kind of, like, utilitarian and not very stylish, which is weird because, like, the game wants you to think that it's built on style. Like, it kind of touts its style left and right, but the combat does not feel stylish. It just feels like you're pressing the same button over and over and over again until every enemy in the vicinity is dead, and it's boring. Yeah, I just... I think this is a very specific sort of a game, and it just doesn't appeal to me. Like you said, like it does kind of feel like you're doing the same thing over and over, and, you know, running into room, and then, oh, I have this specific weapon, and this if I do these, this button press, it combos this way and I can keep somebody juggled in the air this way. And I just, I'm just not interested in it. I don't (laughs) like the story. The stories are never good. I don't like the characters. I think the characters are fucking obnoxious. Um, I just don't like the style of the game in general. And I mean that those are all very important things to me. So like, 
there's no way that the combat can just like keep my attention if I don't like any of the other stuff about the game, you know? And I just, I just don't like the way that it feels like, you know, you collect a bunch of points, you go into a shop, you buy a weapon, equip the weapon, come back and just do some more combos. I mean, if people, and I know there's people out there, I mean, I kind of was, was testing the waters on Twitter and I had a couple of people who were like very staunch fans of the series, which is great. If you love it, that's fine. It's not a personal judgment that I like, that I don't like it and you do. It's just a, you know, difference in taste and all that. But like, I just, I just find very little to be appealing about this game. Um, I just, just 100% not in my wheelhouse. Although I do play action games, I do like, uh, I do like, you know, action genre in general, but just not this one. I just do not like this one at all. So I'm going to pass it up, pass it up. I don't think I'm even going to try to play it and uh, I'm just going to move on and forget that it exists. All right. Well, it's settled then. We have one person half sold on Devil May Cry, the other person not sold at all on Devil May Cry. Um, do you want to move on to the next demo we have in store to talk about? I want you to lead with this one. Yeah, that's fine. Let's move on to Damon X Machina. Uh, demo is available on Switch right now. Um, first thing I'll say, that's a terrible title. They should change the title immediately. Uh, not only is Damon spelled like the weird way, D-A-E-M-O-N, like it, just, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't tell anybody anything about the game. Like maybe it's a JRPG. Maybe it's an action game. Maybe it's a fighting game. Like who knows? It doesn't say anything about the game. It's a terrible title. Uh, but I downloaded this game on Switch. The demo is available, like I said. Long story short, um, if you're old enough, if you're an old gamer like me, you might have played Armored Core back in the day. I have talked about it here on the show every once in a while. Uh, but Armored Core was a game where you built your own mech suit. Like you could have a million different torso pieces. There was a million different arms, a million different heads and legs and boosters and guns and swords. And I mean, like, like, like hundreds of pieces, dude, like hundreds of pieces. You could do like a, a mech that had like rocket launchers and four legs, or there could be one that always flew and had little swords, or you could have a heavy machine gunner, like whatever, dude, like whatever you could imagine. Armored Core will let you build it. Like it was, you could just do basically whatever you wanted to do. Um, so basically the joy of that was like building your own mech. You had to balance like the power output with how much it weighed, with how much heat it generated. I mean, a real kind of a gearhead tinkering sort of a thing. And then once you built a one that you liked, you would take it out and do different missions. Like you would attack other mechs or you could do like attack a city or attack vehicles or something. Like there's all sorts of different, all sorts of different missions. I love that series a lot. Spent a lot of time on it. I was like the expert on Armored Core at Game Critics for many years. Uh, and then it kind of lost steam and they kind of just petered out. And I think everybody just got kind of tired of it and it, it went away. Uh, the people behind that were from soft. They went on to make, uh, the dark Souls series. So, you know what they've been doing lately. Um, but this, I believe this game, Damon X Machina, I think is from people who used to be at from soft. I believe if I am mistaken, someone please correct me, but I'm pretty sure there's a couple people who used to work on the actual armored core series. And so when I played this game on the switch, I'm like, holy shit, this is literally Armored Core. Like, this is what this game is. Stupid title, but, like, when you get into it, that is... I mean, it is... That's what it is. You make your own mech. You take it on, and you, you do different missions. You fight other mechs. You assault cities. You fight big robots. You tinker with the pieces you have. You change the body parts. You make whatever kind of mech you want. It is literally Armored Core. So, I was like, holy shit, this is literally Armored Core. I haven't played this in, like, a decade or whatever. I'm, I'm super ready for this to come back. And in fact, uh, before FromSoft announced, um, what is the game they're working on now? The one that's coming out, the Ninja one? 
You know the one I'm talking oh, about? Oh, is it the Sekiro Shadows Die Twice? Yeah, 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 yeah. Before they announced that, I was really hoping FromSoft was going to announce they were bringing back Armored Core, but they didn't. So I was kind of disappointed. I mean, I'm sure Sekiro is going to be great. I'll play it, whatever, whatever. But in my heart of hearts, I was like, ooh, I really hope they bring back Armored Core. That thing's <laughs> been dormant forever. But these people brought it back. Like, this is literally Armored Core. That's what this is. And I like it a lot. I realize it's a very specific very specific thing and to be perfectly honest with you the demo wasn't great because they didn't explain certain things but me having played like 27 armored core games and knowing them in and out like a lot of that knowledge transferred over so i was like oh i bet if i do this that's gonna work yep totally worked oh i bet if i do this that's gonna that's gonna work yep that worked too so i was able to do pretty well with the demo solely because i had this accumulated knowledge from armored core I know for a fact not everybody has that. Not everybody's played that series. So the demo could have done a much better job of explaining itself. Um, I don't think the demo was very good. But for an Armored Core vet like me, I was like, oh, shit. This is like all the stuff I played before. Exactly the same, except for like it kind of looks better. They've added some quality of life things. There are some neat aspects to it that were never in Armored Core. Uh, I mean, it's a third person just like Armored Core is. But you can fly around. They, they give you much more freedom with the flying, which is great. Uh, you can also zip around on the ground. And the interesting thing was like, if your mech gets blown up, you can actually jump out of your mech and fight as a person, which you could never do in Armored Core. It totally blew my mind when that happened. Like I took some damage, suit went down, my pilot hops out and I'm like, oh my God, I'm on, I'm still in the fight. What's going on? Like I totally expected it was going to be a game over, but I have my little person. She had a little, like a drone that was firing lasers. And I'm like, holy shit, this is really fun. I got smashed immediately. Like a (laughs) robot stepped on me. Okay. Fair play. But I mean, it was cool that you could even do that, you know? So, um, for someone like me who was like an armored core junkie for many years, this is an awesome return to form. And I felt like coming home and I'm really, really excited for it. Um, but I suspect you will have a very different opinion. What was your opinion, Corey? Well, the funny thing for me is that I did, I mean, I don't, I never, I don't think I ever really, really, really got into Armored Core, but I think anybody of our age um, who owned a PlayStation 1 in any capacity will remember that Armored Core was like the top build game on every demo disc ever that came with every PlayStation 1. So I played the hell out of demo disc armored core like back in the day (laughs) (laughs) but i don't know if i ever actually played a full release armored core because i and to be totally uh like transparent i was too young probably at the time to like really understand how to like hit the robots properly you know and if you put this arm on then you're overweight by this much or if you put this these legs on you have to do this to like you know balance it or whatever like I think that was too technical for me at the time because I was like I don't know like 12 years old or something maybe even younger um but the interesting thing is that I downloaded this demo basically not knowing anything about it um, on the Switch. And whenever I played it, I was definitely able to pick up on some of the Armored Core stuff. But when I played it, I thought, wow, this is like Zone of the Enders. Ah, okay. Because, I mean, it's not the same as Zone of the Enders. But Zone of the Enders, for those who don't know, was a PlayStation 2, um, I'm going to call it a franchise, even though it was only two games, very famously made by Hideo Kojima. And probably the biggest, like... um, I don't know, gimmick in the history of the world is that the first Zone of the Enders game launched with a demo disc for Metal Gear Solid 2. So everybody bought Zone of the Enders just so they could play the demo of Metal Gear Solid 2. But little did they know, Zone of the Enders was actually an incredible game. It was like a lightning fast 3D mech fighting robot game where, you know, it wasn't slow. It wasn't plotting. Like you were these 
really quick mechs flying through the air. You had different, um, like, a short-range sword attack. You had the kind of a machine gunny attack. You could, like, make this giant bomb orb over your head and then, like, spike it to your enemies like you're a freaking mech volleyball player. And I just really liked Zone of the Enders because the, the action was... I mean, it's just like Ninja Gaiden. Like, the action was really fast. It was really fluid. It was really satisfying. And so when I booted up this game on Switch, I... I, and I, you know, kind of got into it. I was like, wow, this feels a lot like Zone of the Enders to me. And I mean, Zone of the Enders is very, very, very steeped in like anime aesthetics. And like Damon X Machina is a little bit, but I would argue not as much. And it's also not as futuristic looking as Zone of the Enders. Um, it's also not as fast as Zone of the Enders. And that's kind of where this game takes a little bit of a hit for me because just moving around in the environment, you know, flying, running, even when you use your boost, it just feels a little bit too slow and a little bit too cumbersome for me to like really put it on par with zone of the enders but like the whole time i was playing it i just kept relating it to that game because i really like zone of the enders a lot and i kept thinking like wow maybe this could be like the next thing and something that i liked about uh damon x machina is that there's a lot of customization options like whenever you start the game you pick your pilot um you can do a man or a woman they have this like weird jumpsuit on and you can like color code the jumpsuit however you want you choose the hair you choose the eyes i wasn't really expecting that i thought it was just going to drop me in and let me play and then you get sort of like in an anthem kind of way too um your like suit that you have your mech suit you can like color code it and just like you said you whenever you scrap stuff in the battlefield you can put different weapons on different head different body different legs you can basically kit it out however you want depending on what you get um, in the battlefield and like there are opportunities to do that in the demo but I wish that they would give you a little bit more to do it like it would be cool if you know by the end of the demo you had like three or four different sets of every kind of body part so you could like really customize it the way you want and really feel the differences and sort of like how like the class or the attacks or defense or movement changes based on how you um, kit it out but I mean, I played it. Um, there's like three missions in the demo, or at least three that I played. There's like a kind of a tutorial, like test mission. And then there's a couple of, um, you know, just like mission missions, I guess. And I mean, I kind of like this. I'm not in love with it because um, it feels a little bit too slow for me. I also feel like it's kind of a little bit cumbersome to control on the Switch. I do have a Switch Pro controller, so like if I hooked it up to the TV and used the Pro controller, I do think I would like it more that way, but I did play it in handheld mode um, earlier. So I'm like pretty like lukewarm on it. Like maybe I might rent it whenever it comes out um, officially and give it a shot like in real life because I'm always looking for new stuff to play on the Switch. Um, but I do think it's interesting that when you played it, you went straight to Armored Core and when I played it, I went straight to Zone of the Enders. And it might not be as maybe as good as either of those. I mean, probably closer to Armored Core than Zone of the Enders because it seems like kind of a natural progression of that. But just like the movement and and it feels like because you can fly for like an infinite amount of time, which really makes me think of Zone of the Enders and you have like your boosts in every direction and everything. But um, but I don't know. I'm like I'm kind of lukewarm. Like I'm not in love. I don't hate it. I do think it's kind of refreshing because I haven't really played a game like this in a while. And even the fact that like I didn't dismiss it immediately is kind of refreshing for me because I don't often go in for these kind of like mech combat e games, but I do um, like it. I'm a little bit worried that the full release, it's going to do one of those like JRPG things where it's like 600 hours long because the first three missions that I played in the demo are pretty fucking repetitive. Like it's kind of like 
here's your city battle arena, defeat these clusters of enemies, maybe there's a boss, defeat it, and then it's kind of like, get your kit, you know, kit yourself out, do it all over again. So, I mean, hopefully they'll keep, like, the um, environments kind of varied, or you'll have enough stuff to put on your mech to make it feel different or really kit it out in different ways to kind of, like, adjust the balance on it in every level so it doesn't feel like you're doing the same level over and over again. I mean, I'm sure they've thought all this stuff through. This game doesn't seem like a, you know, like a little indie quick release. It seems like it's really well thought out, but, um, but I'm, I'm lukewarm on it for now. Well, that's better than I thought you were going to be. I thought you were going to hate this game. I was, <laughs> I was fully prepared for you to, to, uh, to not like it at all. Um, and I've seen a lot of people kind of have a similar, I, you were the first person to mention zone of the enders and I really like zone of the enders too. Um, but for me, that's a very different thing than, what Armored Core was going for. But a lot of people that I talked to on Twitter were like, oh, it was so slow, and I like my mechs to be fast and zippy. And that's totally cool. That's just like a different flavor of mech. I mean, there is that school of mech design where they're just like super fast and these elegant like death machines. But then there's also a different school of mech design where it's like, you know, kind of tank-like, slower, more lumbering. And I think this definitely falls on that side, even though you can fly infinitely, which I think is a great, great choice. Um, but it's definitely more about I think ultimately, if, if my guess is true, this is going to it's going to really come down to the build. And it's interesting that they didn't really show that in the demo because it would have been very easy to complete the demo without ever picking up another part because you have to kind of pay attention. And once you notice like an enemy mech goes down, you can go and salvage one of their parts from there. Um, I'm not sure if the store was active. I don't know if that was true or not, but. Uh, it, w- it would have been very easy to get through the whole demo without ever knowing you could really pick up those parts and change things around. They didn't really give you much to play with. You were correct in that aspect. So I think they should have unlocked like way more parts so you could be like, oh, I can change my head and this and that changes my radar or I can change this gun and this gun feels totally different than this other gun. Or, like they, they don't give you very much. So I think if you're looking for like zippy, fast, like Robotech, Zone of the Enders sort of a thing. I, that, I, I really doubt that's what this game is going to be. I think it's going to be more about I'm spending 20 minutes tinkering with the parts and I'm changing the generator and I'm, I'm tweaking the energy output and then I'm going to put these legs on and these legs will be 2% more efficient than these other legs and then the speed goes up. Like I think that's what this game is going to really boil down to and I suspect that it will be kind of like the missions will all kind of be vaguely the same. Uh, but there will be boss missions and, you know, maybe they'll change up the environments and stuff. But I think it's going to be more about in- increasing the mech rather than taking the mech on an adventure, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's sort of like makes me think of like Need for Speed Underground, where half the appeal is like making your car look as fucking cool as possible and kidding it out. And then like the races are kind of an afterthought. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's kind of the thing is like I. If my guess is correct, I think it's going to be all about where, you know, the combat's fine and you zip around and it's okay. But really it's about, oh, look, I got this sword to work with this backpack and then this backpack feeds this gun and then this thing goes to the thing and then my mech is like better than it's ever been. I think that's really what they're going after. And for me, that's cool because I do like that. That's not for everybody. And people who want like lasers shooting all over and Robotech missile clusters and like, you know, flying in the sky and contrails and stuff are probably going to be disappointed because I don't think that's what this game is going for intentionally um but i do like what it's going for it is it is definitely my shit and it's been a long time since i played one of these that was good it seems like they've taken some lessons from armored core and improved on them so i'm definitely looking forward to like an improved armored core experience uh i'm gonna buy this like day one and if if i get more of what i saw in the demo i think i will be pretty happy with that definitely not going to be everybody's cup of tea though that is for sure 
Do you happen to know when this is coming out? I do not, but I do know that I just got a I just got an email from Nintendo. It was a survey about this game. Did you get that email? Ooh, not yet. They were asking what I thought. I mean, it was just, I mean, it wasn't to me personally, Brad Galloway, editor of Game Critics. It was just like a general, you know, like a blast email. But they were like, oh, what did you think of the design? What did you think of the weapons? What did you think of the speed? And they were asking all these different questions. So this game is, I mean, I'm guessing it's probably at least six months away. Like they're, they wouldn't be asking these things unless they thought they were going to be able to do something about them. So I suspect that they may tweak it some more. Maybe the final product will be maybe more, fa- you know, more action-based or faster. Who knows? Um, one thing that I did think was interesting, you were talking about the Pro Controller. I mean, I did think of, I mean, I have the Pro Controller also, and I was thinking maybe I could set it up at home and play on the TV. It would be better to control than with the Joy-Con sticks. But one thing that I thought was really interesting was at least one or two of the weapons were auto weapons. So, like, all you had to do was kind of generally be in the vicinity of an enemy, and the gun would, like, aim and fire itself. Did you have one of those weapons? I did not have one of those weapons. That's rude. I thought that was pretty cool because that was a great way to mitigate how loose and hard to use the Joy-Con sticks are. Like, anybody who's played a shooter on handheld mode on the Switch knows that they're fucking balls, dude. Like, playing Fortnite on the (laughs) Switch in handheld is dumb. Like, it's so hard to hit people. Anything that requires precision is awful. Like, moving up, down, left, right is fine, but anything more than that is garbage. So I thought it was really cool that they had some weapons where it was like, if you were even just kind of like facing an enemy, like that gun would aim for you. And I thought that was nice. You could choose to not use it. But if you did want to use it to kind of compensate for how shitty the sticks are, good choice. Very good choice because I would definitely equip something like that on the go. And then when I came home and I had a controller that actually worked properly, then I would maybe go back to something that actually required some skill. So that was a cool a cool little feature that I really liked a lot. A little thinking outside the box there. So that was kind of neat. But uh, I'm down. I'm down for this, dude. Hopefully they'll tweak it. And uh, I'll get it in good shape. And I'm I'm fucking up for this, dude. I'm up. Well, good. This is definitely not the last time we'll be talking about this game on the show. Then I look forward to it coming out and us revisiting it. Excellent, excellent, excellent. We've got one more game to talk about, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, it's going to be the game we talk about all <laughs> year long. This 2019 is the year of Resident Evil 2. I have some stuff to say, but Corey, you take the lead on this one. Um, I think I, I know what you're going to talk about, but I will let you have the reins. Uh, we know you've been inside and out, up and down, back and forth to Resident Evil 2. You finished it a bajillion times. What could you possibly have to talk about with Resident Evil now? Tell us, sir, what's on your mind? Uh, so, okay, so you would think that Resident Evil 2 would be like a fucking games-as-service game with the amount of time. This is literally like, it's been out for like a month, and we've already talked about it like five times on the show. And I guarantee you... We're going to do a spoiler section, like, way, like, you know, in a few shows whenever you finish everything and you feel satisfied. But um, this is just, it's just the game that keeps on giving. I'm on my sixth playthrough, if you can believe it, about halfway through my Jesus. sixth playthrough. Jesus. Jesus. I, I can't I even know. finish it once, dude. I can't even finish it once. <laughs> uh, but what I want to talk about is, so Capcom kind of pulled a fast one, and I mean this in a good way. And I think it was on, like, the 12th or 13th, so just about a week or so ago. Um, basically, they were like, hey, we're going to release some free DLC for this game. Um, surprise. And so the day after Valentine's Day, um, I guess that would have been Friday, they released a new, it's not really like a game mode, but it, it's called The Ghost Survivors. So in Resident Evil 2, you have the main campaign, which is, you know, however, it can be, I mean, depending on how quickly you can beat it, it can be like an hour and a half long, or it can be like 10 hours long, Um And then after you beat scenarios A and B, you get the fourth survivor, which is the hunk playthrough. 
And then if you do that well enough, you get the tofu version. This is all similar to the 1998 version on uh, PlayStation 1. Um, but, like, the hunk version or playthrough is kind of like a quick, like, you don't save. It's not a campaign. It's just kind of like a speed run through, like, a slice of the game. It's pretty difficult. You don't get any pickups. You don't get any items. It's all about sort of, like, like kind of like dodging enemies and shooting them to stun them and get around them because you don't have enough ammo to kill everything. Um, I played the fourth survivor mission once and I didn't really like it because it's a little too action focused and a little too, I don't want to say unfair, but it's the kind of thing that you need to play it a few times to really learn like where all the enemies pop up, where, um, you know, like what's the best place to shoot. You know, if you shoot an, a zombie's legs or if there's you know, eight zombies that get up off the ground in this one room, then, you know, you shoot three of their legs. Or It's just like there's a lot that you have to know going into it. But Capcom released a similar kind of version of it called The Ghost Survivors, and it is three. It's actually four, um, spoiler alert. But it starts as three different scenarios that sort of reimagine, they say, different scenarios of Resident Evil 2 where you play as characters other than Leon and Claire. So there is... A scenario where you play as Robert Kendo, who is the Kendo gun shop owner, who was in the 1998 version, and he's also in the uh, 2019 version. Is, is he the guy that had the daughter that you meet for like a second during Leon's campaign? Yes, that is correct. Okay, okay, all right. Yes, so there's a scenario where you play as him. There's a scenario where you play as the mayor's daughter, who is famously um, sort of like deceased when you come upon her in the game um, in, in relation to the chief of police. Um and then there's a scenario where you play as... It's basically just, like, another version of Hunk. It's kind of like another sort of, like, special ops agent. Um, probably the same skin as Hunk, basically. And in these game modes, there are... I mean, they take... They don't take very long to complete. Maybe, like, 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and each of them are different difficulties. Like, the the Mayor's Daughter one is, like, a 2 out of 5 star difficulty. The Robert Kendo one is 3. And then the the spec ops dude is four and you have two different game modes. When you play them, you have the training mode and you have like the actual mode and the training mode is the only ones I played them in. Cause I'm too much of a chicken shit to play them in the actual mode. Cause I don't want, cause I know they're going to be hard. And I don't want them to be that hard. Um, but the training mode, I think the enemies are weaker. You get more bullets, you have more inventory slots and you basically, it's just like a one run scenario through a slice of the game. That's a little more action focused where you start with a predetermined amount of items and it's the same every time. Um, and then as you go through, you can either, I mean, you can kill as much as you want, or you can try to dodge as much as you want or get away from enemies as much as you want. And, uh, and certain enemies have backpacks. And if you kill those enemies, then you can pick up items out of the backpack you can pick up everything out of the backpack. And then every once in a while, you run into a vending machine. And when you get to the vending machine, there's three things in it, but you can only choose one of the three things to take. And I think the three things are the same in the same vending machines every single time. So it's like it's kind of like an arcade, slightly action-focused version of all, th of all three of these scenarios. And then once you... Because I thought there was only the three scenarios, so I played one of them. And, like, I like Resident Evil 2 a lot. I mean, obviously, I'm on my sixth playthrough, so we could say that I am um, currently shopping for an engagement ring for it. But I'm not super-duper up for this kind of, like, one-run action-focused thing. Like, if they brought the Mercenaries mode to Resident Evil 2, I think I might be really into that. But I'm not so much into this, like, predetermined map area, one-run, no saving, little items to pick up, lots of enemies to an almost unfair amount. 
Um, but one thing that is satisfying about this is that I played all three scenarios um, in the training mode, and I beat all three of them. And once you beat all three of them, you unlock a fourth scenario that is actually, in my opinion, the best out of all four of them because it takes place and at the very, very, very beginning of Resident Evil 2, no matter which... Um, it's in scenario A, but no matter which character you play as, you're in this little convenience store at the very beginning of the game. It's like a gas station, basically. The fourth ghost survivor, you play as, like, a sheriff that's at the convenience store. And it's kind of like a wave shooter. Like, you're in the convenience store. There's three doors. And there's zombies outside of all three doors. And kind of, like, one at a time, zombies will kind of, like, break through the door. And, like, like two or three will come out at a time. You start with a pistol that has unlimited ammo, which is incredible because it's like the only time in the game you get unlimited ammo in one of these action-focused missions. And so you have unlimited ammo with the pistol in both in the training mode and the real mode, you have unlimited ammo, which I think is great. And in the training mode, the objective is to kill 70 zombies and the actual like non-training mode, um, you have to kill 100. And so basically it's kind of like a wave shooter in this like really tiny convenience store. And it's like really hectic because the convenience store is very small. It's like three small aisles of items to buy or like items on display. And then it's you like running around in circles trying to kill the zombies. And there are other enemies, like no liquors pop up, but there are other kind of special enemies that pop up. And something that I left out earlier is that in all three of the game modes prior to this with the um, Spec Ops dude, with the mayor's daughter and with Robert Kendo, each of those modes has an enemy that is specific to that game mode that is not in the campaign. So in Robert Kendo's, there are zombies that have, like, poison in them, and when you kill them, they release this, like, cloud of poison, so you have to kill them from, like, not far away, but kind of far away, and if they bite you, then they poison you, and in the Mayor's Daughter ones, there's enemies that basically kind of keep regenerating unless you, like, shoot them in the head with a really powerful weapon. Like, if, if you down them, they just kind of keep getting back up and regenerating, kind of like the enemies in Resident Evil 4 that do the same thing, like, late in the game. And in the Spec Ops mission, you get... There's basically just zombies that have, like, a lot of body armor on, and they only have, like, one weak point available, so it's kind of hard to kill them. And all three of those enemies pop up in the convenience store sort of wave shooter thing. Um, but I really like the wave shooter one. Um, there are zombies every once in a while that have, like, flamethrower backpacks on, so if you shoot them, they blow up, and they kill a lot of enemies around them. The backpack zombies do show up and they drop weapons for you that you can pick up, um, but they're like one-time use weapons, so you don't pick up ammo for them. Like one backpack might have a shotgun with like five shotgun shells in it, but you'll never find more shotgun shells, so you just kind of blow through it and then discard it whenever you're done with it. So I think it's a pretty cool game mode, and I'm a little sad that they make you beat the first three to unlock the fourth one, because I think the fourth one is the best one. Um, but long story short, like if you're kind of up for this sort of, like, more, like, arcade-focused, sort of one-run action, like, no saving, no continuing kind of thing, then this is just going to be, like, more up your alley for this kind of game modes. Um, unfortunately, this isn't, like, super what I'm in for. I would rather play, like, a more sustained, like, campaign DLC or, like, a Mercenaries-type thing, like, that was in Resident Evil, like, 4, 5, and 6. Um, but I do really like the wave shooter one that's in the convenience store. So that's kind of like the saving grace of this DLC. But it is free. Even if you don't have the deluxe edition, um, it's still free. You don't have to pay for it or anything. I think they just literally patched it into the game as extra extra modes. So I think that was a nice little, a nice little surprise. Even if I don't love all of it, um, it's always nice to get more of something, even if it's for free. That makes it even better. Um, but I tried all of them. I like the wave shooter one. The rest of them are just okay. 
those sound great. I am up for I am up for that. <laughs> I I am up for short. I am up for like one run. I am up for that. Those sound wonderful. I saw I saw that the the DLC came out, and I updated my Resident Evil Two, so I have them ready. Like they're in the menu, and I can access them whenever. But I'm not going to get to them until after I do the other stuff first. Um, you know, as I as I mentioned in the banter, and as I've mentioned on the show before, I'm like super busy. Like February is ridiculous busy for me. Um, in any other month, I'm sure I would have already finished it finished the game and moved on um but it's just taken me forever to find the time to sit down and play this so i'm chipping through it slowly but surely but those sound great and i i seem to recall i don't think this is the first time capcom's done this i think they've done this with other resident evils my i am not the resident evil expert we'll have to consult maybe you know or if, or maybe someone else knows but i feel like they've done this sort of thing before um so that's cool i'm really excited about that i'm looking forward to those and being the busy guy that I am, kind of a low commitment sort of a thing is really great because, um, I don't know, I just I just like the idea of a little bit more, a little bite-sized more. You get through it, you're done, you feel good about it, and then you just kind of move on. So that's kind of the space that I'm in right now, but I definitely hear that you would like something a little more substantial. I, I suspect that more stuff is on the way. Resident Evil 2 sold great. It's doing gangbusters for Capcom, and they have definitely figured out how to keep a game going for a while between... Resident Evil 7, I mean, they had shitloads of DLC for that that came out every so often. Monster Hunter has, like, DLC, like, every couple of weeks or whatever it is. Um, Capcom is definitely not quite to the game as a service, but they're definitely to extending their games. I wouldn't be surprised to see something more substantial come. Uh, I mean, quick update for me. I started, I, I finished Leon A's run a while, a couple days ago, uh, and then I jumped into Claire B. A little bit disappointing because... I really feel like after all this time, they should have made these scenarios interlock better. I've heard some people say that most people don't even finish their games at all these days. And so they kind of want Leon or like, like whatever, whether it's Leon or Claire, but they want the A run to kind of be the quote unquote, like, you know, the full experience. Basically, you're not going to get everything, but it'll be enough to where you walk away from the game and feel like, yeah, I played that game. I got, I got a good experience out of the game. I'm done. And if you don't come back for the B scenario, they want you to feel okay with what, what you got because most people are probably not going to come back. Maybe Resident Evil fans are more tenacious than most. But, you know, if you look at statistics for, like, video games as a whole, like, you know, 60% of people never finish a game that they buy. So why would they put that much work into a B run? But for me, I mean, for me and you and for other Resident Evil fans who probably were going to finish both anyway, it is a little disappointing to find that they just don't really sync up that well. Like, I'm starting Claire's. Um, the, some of the items are in different places, which I guess is okay, but it's like, if Leon did something in A, I want it to be that way in B, so that if I remember what I did in A, then those things are true. Like, like in the, in the, in the opening hall, when Leon opens that metal shutter, like, it should still be open, or it should still be closed, or whatever. It's like, you know, there was, Claire comes along, and she has to open the shutter again, and it's like, well, Leon opened it, like, why is she opening it? Um, you know, other, other things like that, like, you know, you pick up this item that Leon clearly got and it's still there again for Claire to pick up kind of, kind of disappointing, kind of disappointing. Uh, I also have to say that I am fucking sick of, uh, Mr. X. I'm just, I'm so <laughs> sick of him, dude. I'm at this point in the game where I need to get an item from the third floor of the police station and I know exactly where it is, but he will not leave me alone long enough to fucking get it. Like, Every time I go up there, he's on me and I'm walking like I'm not running and I'm not making a bunch of noise. But for whatever reason, he's he's just hanging out in that section of the mansion or the, the police station. 
and I can't get the fucking item because he fucking comes after me and then I got to leave and then I hope he goes to another part of the, of the station but he doesn't he comes back to the same place and I'm just getting really kind of annoyed and frustrated with him um, so I wish he would just fuck off for like like half an hour and let me get my shit done so I can move on with the rest <laughs> of the game um, yeah and I, I kind of wish it, it overlapped better but whatever I'm, I'm kind of considering the B run as kind of like a alternate run not necessarily that it makes sense that they match up even though the game kind of wants you to think that they do so if I think of it as just like a second attempt at the game rather than something that is part of a whole, then it kind of is less annoying that it doesn't match up, I guess. But so, you know, to be honest with you, though, dude, I don't even really want to go through Claire B. I kind of don't care. What I really want to get to is the hunk scenario. I know that you were not a big fan of that, but I'm really up for that. Like I, I played it in the original Resident Evil 2. I finished it. I liked it. I want to do it again. I like Hunk. He's probably one of my favorite characters in the franchise. Um, he doesn't get a lot of screen time. He's kind of like the Boba Fett of Resident Evil where he just kind of shows up, kind of looks badass for like five seconds and then goes away, but he's got that like mystique about him. Um, so I kind of want to just like play him and I want to hurry up and get to that. So I'm kind of just like, whatever, whatever, Claire, just get your shit done because I've already done this. And it's, <laughs> it's not really super interesting to play it again, even if with the stuff being remixed and all that, like doing all the same puzzles and all that stuff, it's kind of, it's kind of dumb. Uh, but I'm just going to get through it as quick as I can, get to the hunk stuff. Uh, I don't know if I'll finish it, but I would like to get to the tofu stuff because I did that stuff back in the day. I would like to do that again. And I'm definitely up for the DLC. So hopefully soon. I put in some time today because today is my one day off. But I don't know how much I'm going to get in the rest of the week. It may take me like six months to finish this game, dude. I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, you finished. You've got it probably like one and a half scenarios down in like a month. So I think you're doing okay. Well, oh man, that makes me sad to hear that. But yeah, it's taken me forever and a day to get this done. So we'll do the spoiler section when it's done. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at. And I will report back when I finish it and move on to the rest of the stuff. I'm sure we'll talk about it again if there's more DLC. I'm sure there will be more DLC. But uh, that's all I have to report. Uh, any thoughts, questions for me? Or should we move on and wrap up the show? Um, I don't think so. We're, we're like have talked Resident Evil to death. We're going to talk it to death even more. So... Um, we're going to talk it to death so much that perhaps it might rise from the dead and come back over and over again and then regenerate itself, and we're going to talk it to death again only after we shoot it in the head approximately, like, 17 times because that's how the game works. Um, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, Minimum six bullets for every zombie, folks. Yeah, there's uh, something that I find incredibly strange because I have the unlimited uh, pistol in the scenarios now is that, like, there are times where I will shoot a zombie, like, in the head, like, I'll shoot it in the head, like, three times or however many times, and then it'll go down. And there's, like, a period where it'll get back up, you know, if you, like, walk by it or if you, like, I don't know, if you, like, attack it again or something. But sometimes just for, like, good measure, because I have unlimited bullets, um, once it goes down the first time, I will just shoot it in the head while it's down, like, over and over and over and over again. And I think there's, like, a period where... Once it goes down, it, like, doesn't take damage until it's, like, ready to get back up again. And so I will end up shooting a zombie in the head, like, probably, like, 25 times. And, like, it'll finally die. And it's, like, the most absurd thing. And I just have to tell myself that it's got to be, like, a like a, after it goes down and it's in, like, its stun state for a minute. Like, maybe those, like, shots don't count or something. It's just so weird. But I remember the first time I came to the show, I was, like oh, yeah, I think they take a few shots, but I'm okay with it. Like, it's fine. But now that I've been playing with the limited bullets and I, I really see, like, how many shots I could take in the head before they die, it is, like, kind of patently absurd how, like, for zombies, how many shots they could take in the head before they actually die. Yeah, I'm super 
not cool with how many headshots they take. And I mean, it's like, like I said earlier, I, I made this comment before, I'll make it again, but it's like, okay, so either let me kill these zombies with a reasonable amount of ammo, or if I'm not supposed to kill them all, then let me dodge them. Because like, I don't think a dodge would ruin the game. I just, just a little bit just to get around them because it's stupid that you can't like quickly backpedal that you can't just like hop to the side. Like, I mean, I'm a, I'm old and overweight, dude. And I can move quickly, <laughs> like more quickly than Leon and Claire can. And it, if I'm more nimble than these guys, that's fucking sad. All right. So like, if I could juke these zombies, I know for a fact that Leon and Claire could, it's dumb that they can't. So I feel like they kind of made, made a little misstep there. Like either let me kill them or let me dodge them, but you can't really do either. So it's kind of a weird place to be, but anyway, we'll talk about it more as we go on. I think we should probably wrap the show. We will definitely talk about this again. Uh, but I'm all talked out for the moment and, uh, we'll circle back at some other point in the future. Yes. That sounds like a plan. All right, man. Bring us home. All right. Well, today we talked about of mice and sand revised mimic hunter solstice chronicles. We also talked about the devil may cry five demo Damon X machina and resident evil two updates. And that brings us to the end of this show. Remember, you can stick around after the ending music to hear tonight's banter. I complain about work again. Brad and I talk about TV shows as usual and other stuff. Um, in the meantime, if you don't want to listen to that, that's totally fine. Um, you can just skip and we'll catch you next week for the games chat. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, there are several ways to do that. Uh, we welcome all of your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas. Uh, games you want us to play, um, feedback on anything that we've played or anything like that, um, you can get in contact with us by email. Our email address is sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter as a collective show, at sovideogames on Twitter. We also post our shows on Game Critics, and every Game Critics uh, story has a comment section underneath. So you can comment on Game Critics after the show goes live there if you wish. And last but not least, you can reach us individually on social media. Uh, Brad and I are both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Brad, would you like to give out your social media handles? Yep, it's the same on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm more often on Twitter, but I also am on Instagram a little bit. Uh, you can find me there, Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's. Excellent. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. My handles are also my first and last name. We like to keep things easy for you here at the Video Games Show. Um, mine is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Uh, and that's the end of the show. Brad, do you have any final words before we sign off? No, that is it. But thanks again for listening to another Video Games, folks. Always glad to have you aboard. And don't forget, we do love to hear from you. We do read all your comments. We do get all your messages. So don't be shy. Speak up, let us know what you think, what you want us to talk about, and just reach out and get in touch. Absolutely. Um, could not have said it better myself. Uh, but that is the end of episode 119. Uh, stay tuned, and we will be back for episode 120 next week. But until then, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you next time. stuff right yeah 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 yeah. oh i guess yeah i always do that i do this false start now i don't know why i do it now
We didn't used to do that now. <laughs> it and makes now. me wonder if I just took off and started the show, if we did the whole thing and you just, if you would like remember at some point that we hadn't just like shot the shit for a while or if you would just go for it and be over with and then we would hang up and it would just be the show. I mean, that very well may happen someday. You may, you may trick me one of these days and we'll get like a super like impromptu show. I don't know, man. Anyway, so we're here. It's Monday. It doesn't feel like Monday to me because I've been like working like crazy. But how are you doing, sir? Um, I'm, I'm all right. Today is kind of th- – so there's like you, – you haven't seen Blade Runner 2049, have you? Have not, no. <clears throat> there's, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's like one specific moment in the movie where Ryan Gosling has like kind of like a rough day at work, you could say. Um, and then he gets home and he has like this kind of like holographic like – woman that's kind of like his like she's kind of like his girlfriend kind of like his maid like at the house or his like apartment or whatever and there's like one specific scene where he like gets home from this like really rough day and he like sits down at his table and she like her like holographic thing like comes out or like a hologram I guess is what I'm trying to say here and she like uh, materializes and she like crashes down in front of him and she goes she says something like like, what a day, huh? And, like, every time I have a day where I think it feels terrible, I just, like, need to, like, get, like, a recording of her or, like, a video on my phone so I can just watch her be, like, what a day, huh? Because that's, like, how all of my days have felt lately. Like, I just need some, like, hologram, like, sexy lady to crouch down in front of me and be, like, wow, what a day it's been because it has always been a day. I mean, sexy lady or sexy dude? Or does it matter? Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter because I'm not, like looking for anything i just need someone to like (laughs) i just need someone to be like wow it's been a rough day hasn't it but in like a nice way you know so it could even be like like a cat or a dog or something just (laughs) if they talked it would just be like you know rough rough what a day huh or something like that yeah that's pretty much all i need sometimes that little bit of sympathy or that little just little bit of understanding can really make a big difference i hear you 100 you gave us kind of an update on your shenanigans at the campus last time as have you been like writing up more people like crazy or the the kids (laughs) going crazy on campus what's going on well today um luckily like nothing insane has happened recently but um today was just like one of those days where i have so like monday is like obviously my busiest day at work because i'm not working over the weekends but like the reports keep piling up over the weekends so mondays i have to like I usually stay late on Mondays so I can, like, make up for the reports that I, uh, you know, obviously didn't get to on, like, Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. And so, like, any given Monday when I walk into work, I'm already, like, overburdened with stuff to do, which, you know, is fine because it's, like, I expected and whatever. And so today I get to work and, and, like, my boss sends me an email and he's like it's basically like a forwarded email from another it's not another department but it's just kind of like another division on campus and they need a bunch of like data because one of the like the subsets of my job that I probably haven't really talked about much is so like obviously I read reports I build the cases and that kind of stuff but something else I do is I do a lot of like the system that we use for our cases I do a lot of like system management for it and I do I like I create user accounts I delete user accounts I merge cases together I take one case and try to make it two separate cases I get data there's like a million different like analytic reports you can run and so I like run a lot of analytics if we need to and I'm still learning a lot of that because we don't analytics isn't like a daily thing so he forwards me this email and basically like on on a Monday like partway into my day it wasn't even like waiting for me whenever I got there he like forwards me this email from somebody else on campus and it's basically like and like I'm not joking when I say this it's basically like 
hey, um, I need you to get like nine years worth of this kind of data from the from our, like our campus from this like certain kind of thing. And I'm like, and I didn't even check the email because I was like waist deep in building cases. And then one of my coworkers who also like runs analytics, she comes over and she looks at me and she's like, hey, are you working on that stuff? And I was like, no. And to be completely honest with you, I have not even read the email. So I like, open the email and it's like, the, it's like a shit load of information that like this person on campus is, is asking for. And it's just like one of those things where like, I have like a primary job to do at work and this kind of stuff is secondary, but it's like, it's just one of those things where it's like, it can come up out of nowhere. And all of a sudden it's like the highest priority thing for me to do that day. And like my boss and my boss's boss, like don't fully understand how like time consuming it is to get this kind of data. So like my coworker and I basically like replied to the, to his email and we were like, Hey, yeah, like we can do this, but like just a heads up, it's going to take like, maybe like days for us to get this information. And like, that's with setting all of our current duties aside. So therefore getting more behind on the work we're supposed to be doing. It's our daily task. And so, um, so basically that's what we did today. We spent like, I spent like more than half, I stayed like two and a half hours late and I spent, um, like more than half my day, like trying to like even, cause you have to like figure out how you want to get the reports and then you have to like get them and then export them and then sort them. And then in this case, it's not just like a, you know, like a copy and paste, like Excel stuff into another table and send it. This is like a thing where like literally every single case that we're looking at, and we're looking at about 180 cases. Um, you have, we have to go into every single case individually and like look for stuff in the cases in the system so it, like, turned into this, like, whole big thing. And, of course, like, the woman who wants the stuff has, like, zero familiarity with the system that we work in. And so she probably thinks it's something we can just spend five minutes and, like, export a spreadsheet and send to her. But And then, you know, when my coworker asked her, like, what the urgency was on it, it's the kind of thing where she, like, you know, it's like, oh, well, this is so urgent that I basically needed it yesterday. And it's like, okay, well, first of all, thanks for the heads up. And, like, and by that I mean no heads up at all. And it's just, like, I have, like, a primary job to do at work, and it seems like whenever I get assignments like this, which, I mean, it's fine, because as we covered last week, my number one work trait is adaptability, after all. Um, Like, it's like no one seems to care that I'm getting behind on, like, the primary work I'm supposed to be doing, and it's like every time I get, like, a secondary assignment like this, my boss you know, kind of, like, softly reassures me that someone will, like, help out on the primary work I'm supposed to do, and then no one ever helps out. So all I do is get more behind. (laughs) And so, and, you know, I've come to expect it. So, like, after working there for, like, a year, like, this is, I'm, like, anytime he's, like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll have someone help you while you're doing this other thing, I know in my heart that nobody's going to help me. And so, like, I'm just waiting like waiting for the day whenever this blows up and somebody, you know, comes into my office and is like, hey, why are you like 50 cases behind on opening them? And I'm going to be like, well, let me give you the checklist of reasons why. Because like, I'm not the kind of worker that whenever somebody gives me a secondary task, I'm not going to like go to my boss's boss and be like, oh, this is how far behind. I'm just going to like shut up and do the work. Like, I don't want to like make a big deal about getting behind. But as soon as somebody comes to me and asks me, which probably will never happen, um, you know, I obviously can give them, like, a bunch of reasons why, but it's just, like, that kind of stuff. Like, it's, like, slight disregard for, like, my daily work, so that way I can do, like, really, like, kind of time-consuming work on a deadline, and it's kind of stressful, and so, like, we spent most of our day doing that today, and I'm going to spend probably most of my day tomorrow doing it, too, and getting even more behind on my primary work. So, 
it's just that kind of stuff that I've been dealing with today. That sounds like a lot. It sounds like what my wife kind of deals with. I mean, not me particularly, because my job doesn't really swing that way. I'll tell you about my job in a second. But yeah, she's often in charge of like, you know, like these reports where somebody needs something and then they think it's like you just push like a button and then like, like it just pops out, right? Like, oh, here's the, here's the report button, hit the report button and then here's your report. So it sounds a lot like what she's going through. But I mean, so are you, even after telling all those people that you have this like thing that's going to take you days and days where they just like go ahead and do it and just put all that other shit to the side then? Is that what you're, you're still doing? I mean, kind of. I mean, it was sort of like, a, hey, you know, we can basically like, you can take like two days to get this. So kind of like, split your work like half and half over these two days um and other people might help out on your primary job and then you know nobody is obviously helping out on my primary job so i don't know we'll just see how it goes for the rest of the week that sounds pretty rough and i'm glad i'm not you because that sounds <laughs> crazy uh, i have never been that good at office stuff or reports or paperwork and stuff so some people got it. Some people don't. I don't. But we do need people like you to do it. So I'm glad you're there where you are. Me, on the other hand, man, I am oh, I am falling apart at the seams, dude. I am tired. I am so tired. <laughs> I'm uh, still working on Romeo and Juliet. And it's pretty common. I don't know if people know this or not. I'm, I don't know if I've even mentioned it before. But when you're in the theater, you work six days a week. Just period. Like, it's not up for discussion. Uh, everybody does. It's expected. It's the norm. And so whenever I take on one of these, it's always like, okay, I got to get back in the zone again. And it's just, uh, I mean, it's rough, you know, I mean, you work a lot when you're on a project, but then you can, you know, if you're not going from show to show to show, I mean, you could go a fairly long time between jobs. And so like when you work, you work really intensely and then you may, you know, not be on another show for another couple months or something. I mean, for me, it's pretty rare. Like for me, what I do, uh, working as an interpreter in the capacity that I do, it's pretty rare that I get opportunities like this. So if I do like one or like one a year is like, that's lucky. Uh, two a year is pretty unheard of. So usually it's about one a year. So I, I can go a pretty long time without getting back on the schedule. Uh, but I am, I am balls deep in this schedule right now. And I'm just <laughs> like, oh my God, like it's fun. I really enjoy the work. I mean, I'm working with awesome people, the people down at ACT Theater, in downtown Seattle are amazing. Like the director's amazing. Everybody's amazing. Like it's just like awesome people to work with. Everybody's super positive, super professional. Like it's just, it's an awesome environment. Um, I love doing it. It's, it's a really fun job too. Um, but just doing anything for like all day, six days a week is just really fucking exhausting. Um, and today is our one day off. And so, you know, my wife is prepping a bunch of food. We're doing a bunch of laundry. We had to go grocery shopping. That took some time. I got a bunch of paperwork to do. I'm trying to cram like everything in on my quote unquote day off. And, you know, I'm not really doing a lot of off on the day off, but I mean, and that's kind of reflected too. Like, I mean, I don't know if people who listen to this podcast also go to game critics, but like the flow of new content has kind of really slowed down at the website because, <laughs> I come home, dude, and I just, like, I sit on the couch, and I'm like, okay, no, I'm really tired, but, like, I'm going to catch a quick nap. I'll be powered up when I wake up. I'll get the stuff done at nighttime. No big deal. Get it get it going. And then I lay down on the couch. I take the nap, fall asleep in, like, five seconds, wake up, and then I just can't wake up. Like, I'm just, my body's like, nope, you're in shutdown mode. We're here for the next eight hours, buddy, and you're not going anywhere. And I'm like, fuck, I just I cannot wake up. I mean... The other night, I was like, no, 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 no. I got to get some stuff done. I'm so far behind. And I, I, I woke up rest of the family's in bed and i'm like okay i gotta get up get up gotta get up wake up i'm like okay i'm just gonna make some coffee it's like it's like midnight i'm like all right i'm just gonna make some coffee wake up a little bit 
Yeah, drank like a whole cup of coffee. No effect. Zero effect. <laughs> I was like just as tired. So I haven't been doing like much of anything, dude. I've just been like dealing with that. But it's been good. Good times other than the exhaustion and like the long hours. I mean, the play is like looking amazing. And we're only like halfway through rehearsals right now. So I, I strongly encourage anybody who's in the Pacific Northwest area or anybody who might be inclined to come out here for this play. It's going to be like like genuinely unlike any other production of Romeo and Juliet anyone has ever seen. I mean, the set looks amazing. The changes to the script are amazing. I mean, the casting is amazing. So it's going to be like a really, really cool production. Um, so it's good. I feel very fortunate to be part of it. And as as much, I mean, as grueling as it is and as much hard work as it is, like getting an opportunity to do it is like really, really rare. And I've had a couple opportunities recently, so I feel really lucky. So even though it's hard work and long hours and to be perfectly honest, the pay is not great, uh, but just working on it is really is a is a real privilege. So I feel really lucky to be there. So cannot wait, cannot wait. The cool thing too is that um, they're really putting a lot of money into advertising, and so like when I ride the bus to work or like when we're driving around, like I see billboards for it like all over Seattle, and I'm like, yeah, man, I'm working on that. That's so cool. Like this is my thing that I'm doing. So it's it's pretty neat, pretty neat feeling. Um, you had, we talked about last week and maybe even the week before that you, because of all the ridiculous snow in Seattle that you were worried that you guys were going to get behind, how did all that end up shaking out for rehearsals? Oh, we got behind. We got real behind. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we were so behind, um, the director was like, okay, so look, if you guys don't want to go home because you're afraid you're not going to go back, he's like, we'll just pay for hotel rooms for all of you in downtown Seattle because I don't want any of you to not be here because we need to get this done. So like they put up i think like probably half the cast they just paid for rooms um and you know they have relationships with like hotels in the area it's something that they do very often for when people come to actors from out of town come in they put them up as part of the, the deal of being an actor in a in a city that you don't live in but i mean it was like whoa that must have been like a bunch of money for them to lay out to to house all these people for a couple days and to you know just keep them close by to keep this production going so yeah we did get behind it was really frazzled that week when the snow hit snowpocalypse hit Seattle. That was, that was shit. It was awful. I mean, everything was off. City was closed for a couple of days. And I mean, I think we've, we've been making up the time and I think it's coming along. The director's amazing. And everybody's really putting in like 110%. So it's great. But uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of wish we had like one more week just to make up for the snow week we lost, but you know, we're going to do what we're going to do. And I still think it's going to be great. So yeah, we're, we're definitely putting the hours out, man. That's for sure. <laughs> That's good. But there's, I mean, you've kind of been talking about this already, but there's definitely something to be said for like, like being in a large group of people all working toward the same goal and everybody like wanting to be there and really putting in the effort because it sucks whenever like you're in a group of people working and you can tell that like a quarter of the people don't want to be there or some of the people are only doing it for the money and they don't really care about what's going on. But it sounds like you guys have like a good group and I'm sure everybody probably worked really hard to get there. So nobody takes any of the positions for granted for what they're doing for the production, I bet. Totally. I mean, that's kind of the thing is like when you get to do one of these things, it's like you're only there if you're great at what you do and if you really want to be there. Like there's there's like so many people who want to do these slots, like in terms of what I'm doing, in terms of the support staff, in terms of the director staff, in terms of the people who work for the theater itself, in terms of the actors. It's like you don't just like stumble into one of these slots. Like it's like super (laughs) limited. You know, like you got to really fucking work for it. And everybody that's there totally has like, is either like a super seasoned veteran or somebody who is really hungry coming up the ranks and they're really like working hard for it. So when you get in that room, like everybody's fucking paying attention. Everybody's ready to go. Everybody's giving 110%. Everybody's fucking serious. Like there's no fucking around. Like it's just like we're all about, I mean, in a good way, like it's not harsh or anything. Like it's not, 
you know, no one's mean, no one's yelling at each other. It's not like you see those, <laughs> you know, like you see those directors on TV where they're like, they're yelling at people and they're just like being a tyrant on the set. Like totally not like that at all. Like the director's awesome. He's like super soft-spoken and real nice. And, you know, you catch more flies with uh, honey than with vinegar or whatever that saying goes. Um, but yeah, like everybody in the room is like all about it. And like everybody's super focused and they're just, they're doing it. And to be in an environment like that is pretty cool because... I, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, I haven't been in very many environments where I've been in a room with so many people who were so invested in what they were doing. Like, I think the theater for me is really where people are the most invested that I've seen anyway. So it's cool to be in that environment because like there's just it kind of lifts you up. Like, you know, like everybody like you see everybody trying their best and being like all about it. And it just makes you want to do even better because everybody else is working so hard. So it's really awesome to be in an environment like that. It's too bad that like that is it true of like every job you ever have? I mean, it's, it would be impossible, right? Cause you can't get that excited about like slicing bagels or delivering newspapers or something. But like when you do get those opportunities, it's pretty amazing. So I, I, I really enjoy it. And it really does make up for the long hours or getting stuck on the bus or like the, you know, the pain that could be better or whatever. Um, I mean, the trade-off is like, you get to be in this one position that's really unique and it's a unique environment on top of just being a unique situation. And it's like a, a temporary thing too it's just like you know it's it's really ephemeral comes it's there for two months and then it's gone forever and so it's kind of a weird weird special thing that's really nice to be a part of so i enjoy it it's it's, it's definitely good stuff yeah that makes me think back to um whenever I, I i maybe have brought this up on the show before but whenever i was in college and in high school for that matter but mostly in college i was on the uh drum line in college for three of my four years of uh going to University of Missouri and that's kind of how it was too because like you know you had to audition to be on the drum line and everybody like people you know like flew there was like a weekend where everybody auditioned and people flew in from like across the country you know to audition and so like it was very rare that you would get like bad apples or people who like you know, every once in a while we'd get somebody who was kind of lazy or somebody who only did marching band because they like had to have it for their music major or people who like came from high schools who like thought they were hot shit and they were like too good for the drum line. But it was pretty rare that that happened. And so there was definitely like a big sense of camaraderie at the end of the day where like, you know, we had all auditioned our asses off to be there. We all practiced. I think it was, you know, five days a week. Plus there was a football game most Saturdays. So it's kind of a similar situation to you. Like, you know, we were there mostly six days a week. Um, and for football Saturdays, we were there, you know, all day and all night. We had to be there for several hours before the game even started to rehearse. And then we had like a meal break. And then, you know, we had to go down to the stadium. We had to like march down to the stadium really early and then do the pregame show and then go up in the stands and you play for the entire game. And then you do the halftime show and then you play for the rest of the game. And then, you know, you finally get to go back to, you know, like the shed and put your instruments away and everything and then go home. And then by the time you're done, you're just too tired to do anything. Like even if it's like a morning game and you know, you're done halfway through the day, you just like, you're just like, fuck man. Like I'm just ready to, to go to sleep pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. That's basically it. Like when I get home, I just, I crash on the couch. I sit with the wife, you know, maybe we'll watch like a very, very short television show. Sometimes not even that we just like sit there and then I'm just like, I can't like I look at these reviews I got to do. I'm like, I can't I can't do it. I just can't. So but it is good, though. I mean, like like you said, that camaraderie of like, you know, like, yeah, maybe some people will will fall upwards or something and end up there. But for most for the most part, and especially in this situation where I'm at, it's like you're only there because you've really worked hard to get there. And so when you look around, you see everybody's put in, you know, everybody's paid their dues. Everybody's, you know, had their knocks. Everybody's 
been in it for a while and then when you get there like you're all kind of like seasoned you know like you're all you're all people who are about it like that's really cool it's a cool environment to be like that so i I like that a lot so anyway let's let's change the subject here and talk about something that's not work related i'm sure people listen to this podcast are like fuck i listen to podcasts to get away from work and he's talking about work so i'm gonna tell you i was gonna say maybe they listen and they're like wow so everybody is as miserable as i am too and it brings them a weird sense of comfort possibly possibly (laughs) so listen listen to this dude this is like a totally unrelated i should probably save this for the main show but i'll use it here so like my son's ps4 so you have a ps4 and uh so do you guys have two in your house or just one we have two but we pretty much only use one exclusively okay so have you ever had the the experience of you turn on your ps4 this only happens with disc based games too so like have you ever turned on your ps4 put in a disc and then you hear it like rev and then stop and then rev and then stop yes and then, okay. yes so i've had that happen too it happened to mine happened with hitman that took me a long time to get that situation worked out it uh happened to my son too and at first i was like okay so i think it was just gamefly discs because i usually gamefly you know sponsored by gamefly except we're not really sponsored <laughs> by gamefly um and so i was like you know the whatever machine they use at gamefly it, it usually takes a nick out of the the corner of a disc or the edge of a disc and i thought that maybe that was what was doing it but we got one from gamefly that was perfectly pristine like we must have been the first people to ever get the disc because it was like spotless like it looked like it just rolled off the factory line and i'm like there's no damage to the disc there's no scratches looks like there's not even a speck of dust on it it's perfectly clean so it can't be that and so i you know it just rev stop rev stop rev stop rev stop he couldn't play it and i'm like i was getting frustrated because he was really looking forward to it uh just cause fours i think is the one that he was he was waiting to play uh, loves those open world games, loves those screw around games. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, fuck, okay, whatever. And I'm like, I don't want to send it in. It's been a long time since I've had to send in a console for repair. I mean, the last time was probably the Xbox 360 when I sent it in like nine times or something like that. Uh, when everybody was getting like the red ring of death back in the days, right? But like the PS4 has been pretty, it's been a workhorse, dude. Like it's been really solid, been pretty well put together. No complaints about it. I'm like, there's, there's gotta be a way to fix this. There's gotta be something I can do. I'm like, okay, well, I'll put, I'll put it on its side. I don't like the vertical configuration. I just, it creeps me out. I think it's just morally wrong. Like I don't like a console on its side. It just looks gross. Do you, you have yours on your side or no? I do have mine on my, on its oh side. Oh my God, you do? I do. That's weird. That's weird, man. How do you deal with that? Uh, I put it on its side and let it sit there and use it just like any other PlayStation 4. Oh, my God. It creeps me out. It just seems really strange. Just like, ugh, I just can't can't deal. Can't hang with that. But we did. I tried. I'm like, I put it on its side. Didn't work. So I'm like, fuck. Okay, fine. I'm just going to Google this thing. <laughs> At first, I'm like, well, how much is it going to cost to get it fixed? I'm like, ah, oh, but there's, it's going to be like six weeks to get it back or some shit. I'm like, there's got to be some other way. So I started Well, Googling. hold on, hold on. Was there yeah. like actually something wrong with it or was it just making weird noises? It wasn't playing. I'm sorry I left that. I, I, oh, I left okay. That. I was like, why does he need to get it fixed? Like, if it's just making loud noises. Okay. All right. I'm, so it was revving and the games weren't playing. Yeah, yeah. I'm a terrible okay. storyteller. I left out the most important <laughs> part of the story. Please forgive me, everyone. I need oh to work on my storytelling skills. Yeah. It was revving and stopping, revving and stopping. And it was like, it was going as if it was going to, like, install the game, but then it would stop. And it would, it would get to, like, 14% every time, and then it would crap out and stop. And you'd have to do it again, and it would get to 14%, and then it would stop. And I'm like, fuck, okay, he can't play this game. There's nothing wrong with the disc. It's got to be the PS4. And, you know, turn it off, turn it back on. I, like, some people recommended, um, oh, what was it called? Like, consolidating the memory or something that you can do from, like, the debug menu in the PS4. So I tried that. That actually worked for my PS4, but it didn't work for his. And I'm like, god damn it. 
<laughs> so he was getting really frustrated, disappointed, and as his father, and as a fellow gamer, like I don't want to disappoint my son. It's like you know, dad should make this stuff better. Like dad should fix this stuff. Dad, fix it. You know, like I want to, I want to be that guy, right? So like, I jump on Google and I'm looking around, and I go to like one of the Reddit posts from. I mean, there's a lot of people who had the same problem, very common problem apparently. And these people were like, oh yeah, it's the optical disc drive. Something about it craps out after a while, and it's weird because. It'll still play the discs that you've had before it had the problem, but it will not play discs that are new after the problem. So it's so bizarre because he can put in like Titanfall 2, one of his favorite games, plays just fine. He's had that disc forever, plays just fine, no problem. But when I put in Just Cause 4, which is new, rev stop, rev stop, rev stop. And like there's there's no difference in the discs, right? So I don't know what black magic that is or whatever, but like everybody's like, so for real, bang on your PS4. I'm like, shh. Shut. They're like bang on the top of it. I'm like, shut up. And I, I search these other, I search these other posts. They're all like, yeah, just bang on the top of it. It totally works. And I'm like, no, 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 no. that can't be the solution. And I look, I read some more posts. I go to, I like, I check these <laughs> other forums, you know, and they're all like, yeah, just bang on it. I'm like, I feel stupid for even considering this, right? Like, this is dumb. This is like percussive force to the top of your PS4 banging on it like a caveman is going to fix the problem with this delicate high tech machine. Yeah, sure it is, buddy. And I'm like, okay, but I tried everything else, right? Like, I exhausted all my options. My only option left was to send in for service, and I super didn't want to do that, right? So I'm like, okay, whatever. Waited until he went to bed, because I didn't want to look like a jackass in case it didn't work, right? (laughs) Uh, Put in the disc, starts revving, stopping, revving, stopping, and they're like, you have to hit it right where the disc is spinning. Oh, my God. And I'm like, well, where the fuck is that? And I try to listen, and I'm like, well, it kind of sounds like it's over here. kind of sounds like it's over there. Didn't, you know, I, I like, I go for like the left side. That didn't quite work. And I try to go a little further back, you know, bang, bang. I mean, not hard. Like, I'm not like, I'm not hitting it full force or anything. <laughs> like a sledgehammer. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just, you know, just, this, just a closed fist, but I'm just kind of tapping it like lightly. You know, I didn't want to crack anything. Right. So it's not working. It's not working. It's not working. And then I'm like, oh God, fucking damn it. And like, everybody on the boards was swearing that it worked. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try this one more time. Put in the disc again. And I just lightly tap it on the the PS4 symbol that's on the up on the top part of the case. Like if you look at the top of the case, there's like a little, um, you know, a little PS4 that's embedded in the plastic or whatever. And I, I banged it there. Son of a bitch, fucking started working, dude. Oh totally started working. And I'm like, oh my god, banging on the machine actually worked. That is so, that is so wrong. That is so stupid. That is so backwards. That is so like sitcom. But it totally fucking worked. <laughs> Put in the disc, bang, 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 thing, fucking took off has been working like a charm ever since so i guess word of advice to anybody out there who gets that revving error just like put in the disc lightly bang on the ps4 symbol on your ps4 and that'll fix that fucker right up crazy huh you heard it here first i've had that problem i mean i never like banged on it the only significant time i remember having that problem was whenever i game flied um god of war whenever it came out because i remember it that was the only time it had happened but I sort of thought that it was happening because God of War is like, I don't know, perhaps the most like graphically intensive game like ever made in the history of the world. And I was like, oh my God, this game is like so big and so powerful and so ridiculous that like, and I have a PS4 Pro. I was like, my PS4 Pro like can't even handle it. So the same thing was happening. It was just like revving and stopping and revving and stopping. And I thought for sure that my fucking PS4 was going to like unfold into a transformers robot and just blast (laughs) through my roof and take off to the moon because it fucking sounds like an airplane about to take off and um and i can't i don't remember what i did to get it to work i think i just tried it so many times it eventually just works like i think i took the disc out and 
I like turned the PlayStation 4 all the way off. I know I unplugged all of the PlayStation 4. I think I like took some like napkins or something and like dusted off all the vents around it and like blew on the vents to make sure nothing was like stopped up or being overheated or whatever. And then I think I just plugged everything back in and it like magically worked. Um, so I didn't have to bang on it. I mean, I guess that would work. I was going to say, luckily I didn't have to, but, um, I would have tried it probably. Um, but yeah, mine worked just from like unplugging it, kind of dusting it off, letting it sit for a little while. And I guess like cool off and then miraculously it worked and worked fine after that. But yeah, God of War is the only game that I can think of, um, that kept messing up when it was installing and then finally worked, uh, later on when I let it kind of chill out for a little while. Crazy stuff, man. I mean, I guess we should be really thankful that these fucking things even work at all because, I mean, how complicated are games and, you know, making them and the discs and the lasers and the optics and the just the memory. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's like it's like magic. If you took one of these things and showed it to, like, somebody 100 years ago, it would be it would literally be magic. They would have no idea what was even <laughs> happening, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess we should be amazed that these things even work. But, yeah, I guess just hitting something once in a while just really gets the trick done. So... Anyway, what else is on your agenda, man? What else you got? Um, Brad, you're going to be so proud of me. Okay. Because I have TV to talk about this week. Oh, shit. What? I watched an entire season of a show between our last recording and now, and I can finally bring some TV talk to the show. Wow. Okay. All right. I'm ready. <laughs> is it something that I am familiar with? What is it? Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. The show that I watched is a, it's on Amazon Prime's like streaming network and it was made by Prime. Um, it's called Homecoming with Julia Roberts. I am not familiar. Do tell. Okay. So Julia Roberts, I mean, AKA America's Sweetheart, AKA Oscar winner, AKA, I don't know, one of the nicest, most celebrated actresses in the past like 30 years. Um, she finally, she's never done TV before, and she finally did her first TV show, and it's called Homecoming. It's on Amazon Prime. One of the reasons why I watched all of it is because it's only 10 episodes, and the episodes are about 30 minutes apiece, so it's, like, easy. I watched it in two nights. I did, I think, a five or six episodes one night, and then five or six episodes the next night, so it's pretty quick. Um, it's by the I've never watched Mr. Robot, but it's by the creator of Mr. Robot, and he directed every single episode of Homecoming. And the same I can't remember the guy's name, but the like the cinematography or the director of photographer the director of photography was the same person through all of Homecoming as well. So it's very consistent in its direction and its visuals. Um, but basically, the story is about um, Julie Roberts plays this counselor at this center called homecoming in florida and basically it's sort of like this therapy center for uh like soldiers whenever they come back from overseas whether they've done like one or two or three tours or however long they come back from overseas and it's like kind of experimental and it's like kind of tied into like the department of defense and they come back and if they have like issues or like PTSD or if they like saw some shit in the field when they were in um when they were in I don't know like overseas it doesn't really specify like where they were um then they kind of come back to this place um they like live there it's basically it's kind of like living in a dorm like they have their own rooms they eat in-house food and then there's like uh Julie Roberts is like the the therapist that works there and then there's another guy that plays sort of like a 
guy who helps them like get reintegrated into society as far as like job interviews and like they do kind of like some role play like some silly like role play work for like interviews and stuff like that so he's like the practical one and julia roberts is the one that like kind of helps them work through their like feelings and like emotions and like stuff that happened overseas and um i I don't want to say a lot about it because it kind of goes some places um but it kind of centers around her and it does this like dual timeline thing where like part of the show is sort of like I mean, I don't really know if it's in the past or if it's in the present, but there's, like, part of it where she's working at the Homecoming Center, and she's seeing, uh, like, she's seeing all the patients, but there's one guy there specifically that it kind of, like, shows their interactions and their interviews uh, more than anybody else's. And then there's another section of the show where she has, like, moved on from working at the Homecoming Center, and this, like, DOD kind of, like, investigator guy is kind of, like, trying to track her down and, like, ask her about what happened when she works there so like the show is kind of it's almost like video gamey in a way it reminds me of the video game second sight which i love um because it's got like two timelines and the show is working to kind of like bring them together so that they meet in the middle over the entire course of the show and um and so there's like whenever like the dod guy is like trying to interview you interview her like you know like some shit happened but you don't really like know what happened and then when she's at the homecoming center And those sequences, like, you can kind of tell that something is going to happen, but you don't really know. Obviously, you don't know, like, what's going to happen. So the show is, like, constantly trying to, like, bridge those together. Um, And it's it's really good. Um, It's kind of, like, got a weird kind of, like, 70s-ish. Like, it takes place now. Like, it's not, like, an old-timey thing. But, like, some of the design of the Homecoming Center and, like, the typography for the shows and, like, some of the music because the music is actually pulled from different scores from different movies um which apparently is something that's like never been done before um it's got kind of a weird like wood paneled kind of 70s aesthetic to it um but it's just like it's really good and it's like a pretty quick watch because it only it's only like i guess um like five hours long um if you watch all the episodes in one go um but yeah like i don't want to give away too much because there's like definitely like, big reveals and stuff that happen but it's just interesting like and of course julie roberts is like incredible in it because she's incredible in everything but it's cool to see like the dual timeline stuff kind of going and then kind of bridging together and she's got like this boss who's supposed to be the director for the homecoming center and he's one of those i mean i feel like we're kind of circling back to a discussion we had earlier but he's like one of those bosses who he doesn't work on site at the homecoming center so he's like calling her every 30 minutes and he's like trying to micromanage the work that she's doing there and like the kind of therapy she's doing and but he's never like on site to actually like be there and witness everything and he's trying to be like the big bad guy behind the scenes who's like running the show but he's never actually there so she has to like deal with his frustrations and then in like the other timeline she's trying to like figure out what's going on with the dod guy who's investigating her and there's a lot of stuff going on and it gets like I don't know. The plot definitely gets like thicker and more complex as it goes on, but I liked it. Um, obviously, I never come to the show with TV, with TV pretty much. So, and I watched the whole thing on a whim. This wasn't even like a thing that Patrick was like, "Oh, do you want to sit down and watch this?" I just like was home while he was working nights, and I thought, you know, I've heard a lot about this show. I'm kind of interested. Like, worst I can do is watch a couple episodes, not like it, and bail. Um, and I liked it, and I watched all ten episodes. So that show gets double thumbs up from me. Wow! Wow! Uh, interesting. I'm not like the biggest Julia Roberts fan in the world. I don't not like her, but I just, <laughs> it's not like I would go seek out her shows. If she was in something, I'd be like, okay, cool, whatever. But like, I, you know, I'm kind of just like in the middle, like she's just somebody I know. And if she's in something great and if she's not, then whatever. But I mean, sounds okay. I mean, I, 
I kind of like have such limited TV time that I really want to pick things that are super in my personal genre preference. I mean, without spoiling anything, is this is this more of like a crime drama or does it get like sci-fi at any point at all? Or is there anything like that that might hook me in? Because I'm not usually up for like reality based kind of shows like that, basically. Like, is there any any hook for me in there or is it more like a, like a you know suspense crime sort of thing? I mean, it's kind of more suspense, um, sort of like real life stuff, but there is a little bit of like sci-fi hook that comes in here and there. Um, it's not like hard sci-fi with like laser guns and spaceships and shit, but there's just like some sort of like sci-fi elements every once in a while. And I don't want to say much more than that because I don't want to like give a lot away, but I don't know if it would be enough to hook you. And I don't know if the show would be like up your alley. And I mean, if you don't watch it, you're certainly like not going to offend me or anything, but um, it's got, like, a little bit of, like, some sci-fi mystery stuff happening every once in a while, but it's mostly just, like, this kind of, like, down-to-earth kind of suspenseful mystery show. I mean, it's not so much—I wouldn't call it, like, a crime drama, but it's, like, mostly serious. It's pretty suspenseful and mysterious because you don't really know, like, what's going on, and the whole show is kind of about bridging the gap between the different timelines— um, right, right, right. Yeah, it's not one thing that I would criticize it for is that it's not particularly lighthearted. Like, there's a few moments where I laughed, but I think, I mean, obviously, it's not like a comedy show, but I feel like it could have done with like lightening the mood a tiny bit here and there. Um, but it's mostly like real life suspense, mystery kind of stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Something to note. I don't usually watch those too often, but if we are in the mood, I think those are more my wife's sort of a thing. So maybe I'll recommend it to her. Um, Maybe she can watch her. Maybe I'll watch it with her or something like that. So, all right, cool. Excellent, excellent. Speaking of TV, um, I talked about The Dragon Prince a while ago. It was an animated series on Netflix. Remember me talking about it? Uh, not specifically. <laughs> uh, it's about, it's, so it's a Netflix-specific show, and it's about, uh, I don't know, like these this kingdom is at war with, magical elements or something and basically like uh these kids find an egg like a dragon egg and they need to return it to the mom dragon and they have all these kind of like misadventures but there's also like political intrigue there's also like just action there's also comedy um i forget who was behind it i want to say it was the same people that did avatar airbender but i don't know if that's correct i may be misremembering that um but anyway we watched my son and i watched the first season of it last i think it was last year and like 12 episodes, like 20 minutes per episode or something. And we thought it was really good. It was really funny. We really liked it a lot. Uh, and the second season just came out. Yeah, this was also one. It was There was a brief moment when it got a lot of notoriety. Or not notoriety, but, but it became really in the discussion because one of the characters on Dragon Prince is actually a, uh, a deaf person. Uh, it's a woman. And she's like one of the generals in the army. And she actually, like, number one, she's not like she is like a person of power. So like she was, she was like calling shots and she was like ordering people around. She also had like an interpreter that was going along with her in all the scenes. And the, the sign language they were doing on the show was actually like legit ASL. Like you could actually understand what she was saying when she was doing it. And so there was a couple of weeks where people were talking about her as like a good example of integrating like a, a character with a disability and how you could show them as being a positive, positive role model or like, you know, just a person with a life and not just like a disability. So uh, that might be a reason other people might have heard of the Dragon Prince uh, last year. Anyway, uh, really liked it a lot. Second season just hit Netflix, so I think we're going to watch that for sure. Heads up to people out there. I'm sure it's already popped up on your Netflix queue, but just in case, there you go. And I think we liked it so much even, um, I think we're going to rewatch season one with my wife. She didn't see it the first time around, 
Uh, but we're going to rewatch the whole thing with her and just kind of get back into it and get us ready for season two. So we're really excited about that. Uh, also heads up that Runaways came back a while ago. I was, uh, my family really liked that show last year that season two is back. We've only got a couple episodes in. We're going to watch some more of that. I'll report more later. And finally, like uh, circling back on another Marvel show, Runaways is Marvel, but, uh, on Hulu or I think it's Hulu. Uh, all the stuff on Netflix is canceled. I don't know if you know, you probably don't care, but like Daredevil, <laughs> Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and Jessica Jones and the Punisher, uh, Netflix got real popular for a while because they had like this kind of like second string of Marvel heroes where they, they weren't necessarily connected to the movies, but they were kind of in the same universe and they were kind of on their own, their own little zone. Like all those shows got like the axe recently. Um, so people were really buzzing about that because I mean, some of them were, were weaker than others, but I think in general they were pretty well liked. And I think people are saying that they all got canceled because Disney is starting its own proprietary download service. And the the, the chatter is that since Disney owns Marvel, that they're going to just like, you know, Netflix loses ownership of those and they're going to like reboot them on the, on the Disney channel, whatever that ends up being. They haven't <laughs> announced what the name of it is yet, so... We shall see. Kind of disappointing, but hopefully those shows will continue. I really enjoyed them, and uh, I would like to see more. So we shall see. I know you probably don't care. You didn't watch any of those shows, did you? Um, I watched about half of the first season of Daredevil, and I watched a little bit. Like, Patrick watched, I think, most of the first season of Jessica Jones, and I was sort of, like, around when he was watching it. I wasn't, like, you know, looking at the TV with my eyes peeled, but I was kind of... um, um, you know, around and caught some of it here and there. But um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard a lot of the news about it. And I mean, the funnier thing to me is like the idea that Disney is going to, because this is like all the rage, like, you know, Netflix popped up, I don't know, like a decade ago with sort of like streaming after it went to from totally disc based to streaming. And then, you know, you had Hulu after a while. And I mean, there's, I don't know what else is out there. There's like CBS or whatever has its own streaming thing. And that's how we watch, um, the new Star Trek show, because we obviously don't have cable here. And what kills me is basically we're just, like, circling what cable did years ago. Like, all of the channels were combined into one package. You paid the cable company, and you got everything. And then now everybody is going rogue, and everybody is making their own streaming service that you have to pay for individually. And I'm sure in five or ten years... A, a revamped cable is going to come back around that's going to bundle all the streaming services together again and you're going to be able to pay some big parent company in order to get all the streaming services bundled together and then in 10 years they're all going to go rogue again and have their own streaming services and they're going to break off it's just like this cycle of sort of like individual um almost like providers versus like cable it's, it's just like i don't know it seems very cyclical and kind of silly to me yeah, I got to say, I am not thrilled about the idea of paying for another service. I mean, we already pay for Netflix, which for me is plenty. Like, I don't even have enough time to even watch what's on Netflix. And that, that does me pretty well. Uh, but the wife likes some of the stuff on Hulu. And so, okay, fine, we'll pay for, like, Hulu. I mean, we cut the cable cord a while ago like because I was sick of paying so much money for cable. Um, but, but you know, it starts creeping up again. It's like, you know, cable's a lot. And in our area, we were paying like more than like, it was, it was like more than like a hundred bucks a month for cable. It was like ridiculous. I'm like, there's no way we're paying this. We've got to cut this off. Um, and you know, Netflix is like eight or nine bucks or whatever it is now, 11 or whatever. I mean, whatever, a fraction of what cable was. <laughs> um, 
but then Hulu, and then it's like, oh, but then, you know, we also have Amazon Prime, and so you get the Prime stuff, although, to be fair, that's part of the whole free shipping thing, so it's kind of like a cost, but not really, but then it's like, you know, there's just all these other things, and I'm just like, God, I don't want to, like, I don't want to cut cable and then pay, like, the equivalent of cable for, like, 14 <laughs> different streaming services, you know, like, oh, it's really frustrating, so I don't know, but, I mean, to be honest, I mean, Disney has gotten so big they kind of own like all of the favorite nerd properties you know they own marvel they own of course their own stuff at disney they own the star wars stuff and lucas stuff i mean if you're a fucking nerd and you like those kind of movies like there's a lot of incentive to like get that show <laughs> if they all of a sudden start hosting marvel stuff and they're gonna have some star wars shows and who else you know who knows what else man so it's like oh fuck like i don't want to like uh, whatever i don't know man we'll see we'll see <laughs> I'll probably yeah. end up subscribing and I'll just be talking about how great the shows are. Who knows what? But <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I'll be. And I think the most interesting thing to me about the Disney thing is like, you know, because sometimes you're used to seeing shows on Netflix. You know, there's like Black Panther is on Netflix or whatever. But like, so as soon as the Disney thing goes, I mean, I could only guess that everything that's Marvel related is going to be pulled off of Netflix completely. And you're not going to be able to get any of those shows on Netflix unless they work out some kind of deal. Um, so that way, if you want like anything that's related to any properties that Disney owns, you're going to have to go directly to their streaming service. Cause like, I think people take for granted the fact that like Netflix like cycles through what they have in their catalog every month, that it's not the exact same stuff every single month and they keep building on it. You know, they get stuff, they lose stuff, they get it back, they lose it again and it goes in and cycles. But now with more thing, more streaming services popping up, like obviously if it's, if they're like, the owners of whatever the production company is, they're going to want to pull it from everything else and have it for themselves. And so it's just like all the stuff that you think you'd be able to get, you know, on prime or on Netflix or on Hulu or whatever is going to end up being, it's going to get all divided up among whoever owns the production companies for the streaming services. And it's just going to be like a fucking mess. It's so silly. It's kind of weird because I know that, you know, I remember when Netflix was a mail order service and you would just get like movies on a DVD and that was how it began. I mean, maybe people have kind of forgotten that's how it got its start. But, you know, you started with that. And then, I mean, it's weird because it got it was known for doing movies. But now all I think of it is just like catching up with TV shows. Like I just watched like all the series or like, you know, we binge stuff or like some of their original programming is pretty good. Like I, I just don't even think of Netflix as being a place that I go for like the latest movies or like hot movies or anything. But you're totally right. I mean, I remember I was flipping through and like it was like Thor Ragnarok was on there. I'm like, whoa, what is this doing here? This is like a big movie that I really liked. And I didn't expect to see this. I was just looking for more of like the baking show and like, you know, whatever, whatever sitcom I was looking for. So, yeah, but all that stuff's going to be gone. Like all the Star Wars stuff, all the Disney stuff, stuff that they had had deals in place for is going to be gone. And so, I mean, Disney owns a lot of shit. They own a lot of properties. And I think that they're going to have a pretty compelling pro uh, uh, portfolio once they finally, you know, regroup and take all their properties back from wherever they are. I mean, I don't know. Disney is getting to be a pretty, pretty big power player. I mean, they always were, but like even more so now, like just they're just octopusing out and just grabbing everything. So <laughs> kind of crazy. Anyway, yeah. I got nothing else on my plate, man. You got anything else on your plate? Um, I think I am bantered out for today. Bantered out. All right, dude, we should probably uh, get rolling and start talking about some actual games. What do you say? That sounds like a good plan to me. All right, dude, let's talk about some games. <laughs> <laughs>